The views and opinions expressed on Red Planet are those of the individual and do not necessarily reflect those of Red Planet nor any affiliated or related entities. This podcast is provided for educational purposes only. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Red Planet. This week we are talking with the Good Law Project about their fight for trans liberation inside the legal system of the UK. We also talk about how some anti-fascists absolutely destroyed the far right down at a drag queen storytime event down in London. And we touch on the latest on the earthquakes in Turkey and Syria. But first... Something about some nuns again? And so, Tim, I said, that's not a hole in one. That's a hole in none. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right? Do you not get it? Do you right? not get I mean, it? I don't know. Yeah. It wasn't uh, a hole in one. It was a hole in none. Whoa. <laughs> Tim loves what a it. Joke. Tim loves what a it. Joke. Yeah, yeah, I'm, That's I'm, the face I, of someone who loves the joke. <laughs> he loves yeah. it. The known joke and joy. Yeah. Welcome to chat. Red Planet. Can we get a round of applause for making hey. it? Yeah. You have a clappy yeah, yeah. mode. Great. In the chat. Um, mm. Here, if you're listening, you can just start clapping spontaneously. It's okay, especially if you're in public. Go ahead. Do definitely. It. Definitely. Definitely you're in do public it. If you're on well, the someone bus. Someone asks, hey, why are you doing that? They're like, well, let me tell you about this great show called Red Planet. And there's yeah. your... There's your really natural segue. And also, um, if you're in like New York or London, no one will ask you that. So that's fine. <laughs> yeah, they'll just they'll just keep walking. <laughs> Anyways, um, um, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, another wonderful episode of Red Planet. Uh, Sophie is unable to make it today, but don't worry. The rest of the team will guide you smoothly and safely throughout this entire episode. I'm sure we will. And we have Tim here to keep me and Kira in check. Mm -hmm. Uh, We will not be allowed the reckless abandon uh, that we normally have. Yeah. It's it's not just me and Mule just just fighting for our lives. (laughs) (laughs) Fight or flight. Fight or flight ADHD moment. Speaking of fighting for our lives, uh, Tim, what was the most base thing you did this week? Um... It, yeah, oh, I don't know. I was thinking about that before the stream. I actually, yeah, I wasn't even sure that I was going to make it for this stream because because of all the, like, the cyclones and floods and all that kind of stuff. There was another flood. Well, there was another big storm scheduled for today. Um, it was supposed to start last night, but it's kind of just like it rained a bit overnight and now it's fine. But apparently this afternoon there's going to be like thunder or whatever. So it's been like downgraded. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah, yeah. So feeling fine now, but it is, it is like, it's, it's weird, you know, like after something like that, every time when you're like mm-hmm. coming home or whatever, and you see like really gray clouds, you're just like, you're oh, like oh, shit, no. I need to go home and I need to do this. and I need to do that. If and, y'all um, don't know, Tim lives in New Zealand and for the yeah. past few weeks has been like, uh, just pummeled by like yeah. like a cyclone and then like what it was else like, like earthquakes it was, yeah, floods. it was like just, yeah just like everything and just um, everything so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It's, we're it's very glad he's alive but, um, here. 
yeah aside from just surviving the climate apocalypse um i don't really can think of too much because i've been pretty busy but um uh yeah i um i just spoke to a group that are doing like a big um kind of strike thing at the moment um i can't say too much about it just yet but um spoke to them about donating some of my time to do like some kind of like um you know, like graphics and stuff for them mm-hmm. for um, all their stuff. So that's probably the most based thing aside from just, you know, like not, not getting swept away in a flood. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Mule? What's the most based thing you did this week? So, um, yeah, definitely not as heroic as Tim. Uh, genuinely, <laughs> genuinely uh, that's very That no one can ever be. Don't worry about it's it. It's true. It's true. This is why he's got gauntlets and a sword, because uh, <laughs> he is literally a hero. Um, a Highlander. A Highlander. He is. There can be only one, and it's him. Is it um, Valerian steel, though? The, mm. no, it's, um, is it's it even the... Valerian steel? <laughs> What's that? Is that from like the movie the Highlander? Fake... No, that's know. a fake game of threat. I think it's supposed to be like... Wait, is that actually fake? Steel, I thought but... that was real. I thought that was like the folded steel. I know. This I think is... it's supposed to be like Damascus steel, which is like an actual thing, but because Damascus oh, okay. is was a place in Damascus our world steel? and not in their world. Was it even? This, yeah. this is just like when I was playing Minecraft on stream and my chat were like, but Mule, Obsidian is real. And I was like, what? And it is. But and it's then, not and like then... the stuff in Minecraft. Some, like, yeah, and then they told me, and then they told me they were like... some Obsidian? And then they talk with you. Oh, that rocks! What kind of show is this? What am I doing here with these losers? (laughs) Obsidian swords, Minecraft. This isn't a sword. This is just like a little thingy. But it's um. I know, but that's in addition to your sword, is what I'm saying. It's when like um super hot lava hits water and it cools rapidly and forms glass. But it's like it's super precious into a lot of cultures, like south uh, a lot of south american cultures and, and then i'm um, for maori as well it was super rare so um yeah like you see like really rare like you know old um like yeah like tools and implements and stuff made out of obsidian because it's like quite hard and quite good for stuff mm. like that. but it's um yeah super super precious but yeah anyway sorry <clears throat> you were playing minecraft yeah that and was, then and then my chat and then my chat were like but mule netherite is also real uh, and then I believed him for a little minute and, uh, and that was embarrassing. Anyway, yeah. back to the most base thing that I did this week. So um, I uh, I work for a little organization called Great Manchester Tenants Union. Most people yeah. have never even heard of me doing that. It's not something I mention every episode. Um, but we actually did. We actually did. Wait, what position um, do you hold in that in that organization? Do you, I am an elected member solidarity representative uh, officer. This is I, the first time hearing this. That's fantastic. Wait, really? No, I'm joking. I was going to say, what the hell? <laughs> that was a joke going off of your I joke. don't know. I don't know oh, anything. I don't know sorry, what I've Pete, said. I don't mean to interrupt you. Please keep going. I've I'm said so sorry. It. And I'm sorry That's for okay. all our listeners. I'm, I'm currently putting bread in my face. So <laughs> I really should probably not just blurt out in the middle of mules. Like talking i interrupt him while i have bread in my face hole it's, it's extremely right. not ladylike and we sorry, i will you. scoot away so i don't get tempted we f- we forgive you kira don't worry um so yeah basically uh with great manchester tennis union this week uh i went to one of our um branches that is like in one of the more deprived areas of manchester known as middleton uh and we did a training um session there basically to teach people how to handle their 
own disputes because that's kind of how we work with GMTU. We operate under the collective dispute model. So even if someone is like really having like the worst time ever, we do try and encourage them to take <laughs> control of their own dispute because it can be very empowering. Mm -hmm. Like it can be hard for people most of the time because they come across this bureaucratic process when taking on letting agents and landlords and stuff like, oh yeah, just file a complaint and we'll mm -hmm, deal with mm -hmm. it. Um, but then as soon as we come along and say, actually, no, forget all that. Just write a letter to the fucking CEO and we'll co-sign it with you. So all you have to do is write a draft basically. Yeah. And then we'll co-sign it. If they don't act within seven days, then it's fucking protest time. Right. I feel um, like this is one of the, um, I'm interrupting you again, of course. I feel sorry. like this is one of the um, un undiscussed uh, benefits of abolishing the police. Right. Because the police are horrible, fascist, like protector of, of, of oppression, you know, to perpetuate oppression. Uh, all that, all that stuff, right? But what I don't think people really discuss very often is how they also serve as a tool for alienating us from each other when it comes to conflict resolution. You just yeah. call a cop. You see your your literal next door neighbor is making too much noise. You call a cop to drive well, across town to knock yeah, on their yeah. door and say, "Turn down your music." Like right. that was um something that was quite a lot in that brick by brick. Um, the book that the Cradle community um, made that we had just a couple of guests. Um, yeah, what, mm -hmm. like a month ago, maybe or whatever. Mm -hmm. There was a lot in their book that spoke specifically about the outsourcing of, um, you know, like if you have like some kind of social problem or whatever like that, it's like, and, uh, you know, like these days, it's like you're encouraged to outsource the resolution of that mm -hmm. problem, you know? So yeah, like you're saying, like a noisy neighbor or whatever like that, you call the police, they handle it for you. So you don't actually have to go mm -hmm. out. You don't have to go see your neighbor. You don't have to, um, you yeah. know, you don't actually, you live in a little box and you don't mm -hmm. talk to anyone else. <laughs> yeah. And that's so true. Like, it's a really good point that you bring up there, Kira, because like, you know, um, we at GMTU are always like, if you have an issue with your neighbor, it's not really our job to like try and evict that neighbor. We would never evict anyone. The job that we would take position of in terms of you know um what we could possibly do the, the the extent of what we would do as an organization in that scenario would be to like tell the landlord that the landlord kind of needs to um mediate between the two tenants and try and you know enter into a conflict uh, resolution scenario other than that we don't get involved because we know that that can lead to evictions and we're just not about evictions really do you know what i mean doesn't matter who it is um so yeah with that it can be quite difficult luckily we don't have stuff like that that often uh, and nine times out of ten 90 percent of the problems that our tenants have are from landlords or social housing um so yeah we we educated a bunch of folks uh, in middleton on that on, on on tuesday that was really good it was a really good positive session uh we actually came across a, a guy from rochdale who came to that that session uh, an elderly black man who is a migrant from nigeria originally um and he has been without gas heating all that kind of stuff in his social housing apartment for eight years what yeah eight years and you know he is he's like he obviously like you know he's he's straight away he's like i know it's racist i know it is i know it's racism um this is the same 
if you will have heard of this in, in the UK, there was a, a, unfortunately like a, a, a young child, a young black kid died. He was like four years old, he died because mm -hmm. he had mold and stuff uh, all, all in his lung. The coroner's report mm -hmm. basically said it was the landlord's responsibility, the social housing, uh, housing association's responsibility. Uh, that kid's name was Awabi Shark and the social housing provider is Rochdale Borough-wide Housing. That's funnily enough, the same social housing provider that our member is is with that's left him without gas and, and stuff for, for eight years and he's also noticed that there is just like a, an, a systemic amount of racism in, involved in that housing association so it's very fucked up uh it's something we're definitely looking forward to helping him with um because rochdale borough-wide housing need to need to need to be dismantled <laughs> and built again from the from the ground up yeah, you know geez. Geez. Yeah. <laughs> so uh yeah so that was a really good session uh and then we also went to um the, we, we supported another of our members who's a student member um, with a letting agent that they're involved with. Really fucked up, really fucked up shit. Like, you know, they just they just let these students live in like rat infestations, silverfish infestations, they, like, you know, places with damp, carbon monoxide leaks, all this kind of shit. It's really bad. And obviously because they're students, they absolutely don't feel empowered to do anything. And especially if you're like uh, a woman or if you're racialized um, or queer, you know, you, 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 you're not going to try and challenge the establishment, right? Uh, and our young member who was like extremely brave in going in there, even with her like parents, yeah, like she was in tears like the whole time. Do you know what I mean? Which sort of shows how important it is to have comrades go with you and handle these things yourself. Like she just simply would not have been able to handle that on her own. And that's what these disgusting, parasitic, fucking profit incentivized bastards rely upon, right? They rely upon that shit. And, and, yeah. and they know this. They know about the implicated uh, power structures in society, cis heteronormative patriarchy, uh, white supremacy, all these different power structures that exist in order to, to enable <clears throat> people to be, I guess the way that I would word it is um, ignorant through bureaucracy, right? Because nine times out of 10, these people are just like, yeah, send an email or like, yeah, go through the official yeah. channel. Yeah, 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 yeah do yeah, this, yeah. fill out this form, et cetera, et cetera. And that enables them to sort of be like, oh, well, I don't actually give a fuck about this person because you know, I'm a cishet white guy or something like yeah. that, right? You know, so anyway, that's that was the most base thing we did this week. We we had like a group of students outside this letting agent and we were telling everybody who was going into the place, um, yo, have you got problems with the landlords here? And they were like, yeah, they're shit. And we like <laughs> recruited about 10 new members. Oh, it was really yeah. fucking funny. <laughs> <laughs> they were all saying the same shit as well. Everyone hates like, landlords. Yeah, Fuck yeah. They, they, they were all saying the same shit. They were like, yeah, there's loads of rats and mice. And like, mm -hmm. they, they just like say that it's dealt with. They have like a student app portal or something that they log oh, things through. Oh, right. What, yeah. And, and then and portals. Right. Oh. Right. It, it, it's fucking God. fucked. So fucked. Um, so we did get some progress there. And uh, like the, the, the one of the high up like general managers agreed to meet with our member yeah. to just see all she wants is to be unwound from the contract. Um, and I know I'm going on a little bit with like the base stuff that I've done no, no, no. here, but I just want to wrap this up real quick because I think this is really important for people in the UK to know and maybe people in other countries to investigate if they mm. if, if see if there is legislation like this there. So if you enter into any kind of consumer contract, and that includes tenancy agreements, right? Um, you have 90 days to unwind from that contract if that has been sold on oh, false pretenses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Like, um, uh, sometimes they call it like a cool down period or something yeah. like that. Is yeah. That it? yeah, yeah, literally that. Sometimes it's mentioned in the agreement. Sometimes it's not. I wonder why. 
Um, you know, wow. and, and, and that's and so that's something that's really important to know. Um, but even if it's not mentioned, it's it's still a thing. Is it's what still you're legit. Saying. It's mm-hmm. still legit. Yeah, it, it, this is like legislation that goes. I didn't above. know that. Uh, yeah, what a yeah, lot yeah. of people don't r- realize is that these tenancy agreements that landlords and, and letting agents just kind of cook up out of nowhere, it, it, they're just that. They're, they're, they're quote-unquote businessmen's agreements. Like, that, yeah, that's yeah, all it yeah, is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just yeah, the law paper. will always um, supersede any, you know, kind of uh, thing that in a contract that, you know, someone brings up like that, whether it's a landlord or like uh, the other week when I was talking about the um, the stripper strike that's happening down here, how the contract that they have says, okay, you guys are contractors as opposed to employees, but the law actually says if you fit this criteria, you're an employee or whatever. So it doesn't matter yes, what it yes. says in the contract between two individuals if the law mm-hmm. kind of says something else, that'll always yeah. override that. You know? I wonder that's how that applies. It. I wonder how that applies in America because I know in America it's a state by state thing, you know. Oh, right. So when it comes to landlord tenant laws, like there's some mm. states that are really good for la- quote unquote very good for landlord tenant or sorry, very good for tenants and very other states very good for landlords. Yeah. It's always going to be bad for tenants to be clear. Like that's yeah. just the reality of of the the shit of landlords. Um yeah. but yeah, that I wonder how that works in America. I'm constantly, mm-hmm. this is why I asked Legal Kimchi, do you remember on your charity mm-hmm. stream, Kira was doing a charity been, stream. Yeah. Yeah. And um, uh, one we raised $27,000. It was really, really good. It was really, really based. Yeah, it was so good. And we had so many awesome guests on there. And uh, one of them was Legal Kimchi, like an actual lawyer um, who's on YouTube. And you should definitely go check his stuff out because he's really cool. Um, but he, but I asked him, I was like, do you know anyone who, who knows about like housing law in the States at a federal level? Because federal law overrides state law a lot of the time, right? So if you actually like... Um, I don't know exactly how it works, but I know that like that would be something that would be of interest to people in the US in terms of housing rights. So it would be I cool. I almost feel to... like the federal state law division uh, works, if if not intentionally, I don't I don't know if it's an intentional thing, but it, I think it works to just confuse like the people because right. like, yes, whenever yes. I feel like I have some like protection it's like, no, 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 there's another law on some other level that, that like negates it. Or like when it comes to, you'll see how like federal law does not supersede state law when it comes to marijuana possession, but it can, like it should, like it, it, theoretically the feds can come into any state that is like allowing for marijuana distribution and like shut it all down and arrest every single person. Um, But they just don't because they're just like, because they just don't just just because yeah. they just don't and yeah. so like it, it gets very confusing because <laughs> you're like what yeah. is happening what yeah, is happening it's, here it's, just ext- it's extremely folks and I think for the record right, yeah. i don't want the feds to to do that i don't think <laughs> no of course of course that yeah. that's not good but moving on from me um kara what is the most base thing that you did this week oh my me? gosh yeah. that's right you sweet beautiful kara well um I didn't really do that much this week. Um, honestly, the most basic thing I did was like self-care stuff. So I've been getting back into working out, uh, working on my butt because I do a lot of butt workouts. Chatters from my my own community, chatters know this. Um, been eating, trying to eat more and like eat not completely just random, any edible thing I can find in my apartment at like 1030 at night before I go to sleep to try to make up for all the calories I forgot to eat because of ADHD. Uh, I'm trying to actually like 
have breakfast and do stuff like that. Um, and also trying to sleep. And also uh, I took yesterday off from streaming because I was just like, I was really tired. Um, but I was also really need to organize my place because it was really stressing me out. Um, and I have, and so I made a lot of good progress and I'm, I'm really proud of myself and I already feel like a little bit more of like a put together person. So, yes. um, I'm sure there's something else base I did, but I can't think of anything. Oh, I bullied my own community a lot over the past few days. So <laughs> that was pretty based. Pretty they deserve it. Yeah. They deserve it. Oh, Anyways, that's really good. I'm that, really that, proud of you. That yeah. fucking rocks. And it is hard. Like, I know you've got ADHD. It is hard to like get a meal plan together. Like when you're working out, like that's one of the, that's one of the hardest things, um, not just to like figure out, but also to stick to, um, just you know, the time and energy when it, like, cause I do, I, I'm a, I mean, like, listen, there are people that have far more obligations than I do, but for me, my obligations are, are a lot for me to handle, like being a Twitch streamer, um, and trying to run a community all the time. And then also being a sex worker on the side, not on the side. It's like half, half, like, it's like, they're both like, they're just both taking up like a lot of time. Um, yeah. And, and like a lot of the, a lot of the process of being like a content creator is just like in thinking about stuff too. And oh that's, my God, yeah. Yeah. it's just, and then always feeling inadequate. Cause you're not doing it. Like, <laughs> that's uh, a whole other yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, like you can never turn it off. Right. right, I, don't know, right. I don't, I don't know if you do this either of you oh i deleted like... twitter off my phone that's based oh yes well done that's so based i haven't been on twitter, really I haven't been on twitter in a week. It. so if you see me on twitter <laughs> less it's because i only use twitter when i'm sitting on my desktop like it's a computer i'm trying to use it less anyway sorry go ahead yeah no i was gonna say i don't know if either of you two do this uh or if any other content creators watching do this but like sometimes like imagining the thing that you're gonna talk about on stream later that day and then imagining what people are going to say about that and then having imaginary conversations about that and arguments that actually oh, yeah. will never happen oh yeah like, they're never going to happen and you like you're like desperate and you completely like, forget to even do it on yeah you don't even you don't even say the thing you don't you even have do this that whole, thing like it has a whole life cycle <laughs> in yeah. your brain and you have all the stresses and all, all the like potentials and then you turn your stream you and you have ADHD, that. so you don't remember to say anything yeah yeah, yeah. I, I get like huge heart palpitations about this shit. I'm there like <laughs> shitting, pissing, vomiting before stream. I'm thinking like, what if someone brings coming. this up? Coming, yeah, I don't want to talk I get about it. it. Yeah, literally coming, coming literally all crying. over the place. I understand. Oh, I it's get so it. hard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so there you go. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Good to know yeah. you're not alone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, with that, should we uh, get into <laughs> news? I don't know. I want to talk about coming more, but no, you're right. We should. <laughs> And I, it's I, uh, my turn to read the news first. It is. I would, is. I, I would rather, at this very point in time, hear you explain a little bit more about uh, what's happening over in Turkey and Syria. Thanks, Tim. I will do that for you <laughs> and everybody listening at home. Um, so, yeah, we, we are well aware. I think we reported on this not last week, but the week before, about the earthquakes in uh, Turkey and Syria. Um, really, really, really intense. This is sort of like unheard of level uh magnitudes uh, of, of of earthquake i don't really know what the the measurements are in particular but it says here magnitude 5.3 earthquake jolts turkey central Mida province i'm not sure if I, i'm pronouncing that right um but the earthquake earthquake had a depth of seven kilometers and hit the bore district on saturday afternoon now just to be clear this is another earthquake on top of the the previous earthquakes that have happened um and you know this this is uh, you know extremely upsetting uh, and and another earthquake as well um also happened so 
um, nearly 200 people, again, arrested for alleged poor construction. This this is something I, I talked about last last time we talked about this. Uh, you know, this is in Turkey, specifically like Erdogan's government. Um, and, and I sort of had a, a little bit of, um, you know, uh, questions, a couple of questions to ask about this. Yeah. Uh, no one's really um, enlightened me on this yet. And I haven't had the time to sort of research this. But like, you know, is is this kind of like... Uh, you know, it just doesn't feel right. You know what I mean? If there's something I'm not understanding about that, about where it's like, yeah, it doesn't really feel right to sort of hold people responsible for earthquakes that, you know, have have never been predicted before. Like imagine if next week there was like a tsunami in Britain and Rishi Sunak was like, okay, you lot didn't make your fucking houses tsunami proof. So time to go to jail. Like, you know, it, it kind of feels yeah, like that. I, yeah, you know what I mean? for what you're saying, it sounds like, cause I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't really know the, personally, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm wise enough to understand like how to approach this, you know, but it, from what you're describing, it sounds like it's like a government that tries to individualize the repercussions of global warming, mm. right? Well, so I think right. like the which thing I'm assuming, I don't know if here, the though. earthquake has anything to do with global warming. I'm not really sure if there's a connection yeah. there. Um, yeah. But if it's unprecedented and now it's happening all of a sudden, yeah, I think um, so. The thing with um, I don't know the like with the recent stuff. The deal is so um, a lot of the buildings that have fallen down and the way that they've fallen down, like the pancaking when they fall down like that speaks to uh flaws in their construction and because of there's been there's been a whole bunch of other earthquakes in the past in turkey and every time they're like okay cool we're changing the way our like our building codes basically like increasing their um, standards for like how you know you construct a building or whatever uh and then so a bunch of these ones that have fallen down and mm. like killed huge amounts of people and stuff um they don't fit these building standards, but were constructed after they were implemented. So the people that they are arresting, are like the architects, the builders, the developers that worked on these sites and basically like designed and built these, these buildings saying that they conformed to the standards, but obviously mm. the people weren't inspecting them to make sure that they were, or, yeah. you know, something else more dodgy was going on. Um, but this is also a huge thing. We've had this in um, New Zealand as well with um, just kind of like, like huge developers that making huge subdivisions because we're in the middle of a housing crisis. I don't know. Turkey's probably the same, you know, they're just trying to get as many houses out as possible. And then there's also like the speculative market, like people just willing to buy them. So, you know, there's a lot of money in building these kind of like um, these gigantic projects of, of apartment building subdivisions, all these kind of things like that. So it's kind of like, this is, you know, like, like, why would people be incentivized to do that? Oh, maybe yeah. because there's a you know a greater economic system that kind of that makes you know, more, pushes more people. sense. So yeah, yeah, so it's this thing yeah. where it's like yeah, the government the government are punishing these people for skirting around regulations, but it's kind of like okay, well you know little, like too little, too late, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like okay, well maybe you should have been more serious about enforcing them. Mm -hmm. Maybe you know like yeah. all this kind of stuff because it's you know it's the same in most places to meet the like the inspectors have to go to check the you know that the buildings mm -hmm. pass the thing so it's like it kind of speaks to a much larger scandal than just like you know a couple mm. of builders or whatever that build problems whatever this is like the whole kind of like you know like this industry of like construction and developing and all this kind of stuff so right. um who knows how 
I want much of a bigger picture thing they'll actually go for. It might be like you say, where they just go like, okay, well, some of these builders, like they did a shitty job or whatever, but um, yeah, what they really need to be looking at is being like, okay, well, why, you know, like, why would, why would people be trying to build these houses under regulation or that kind of stuff? Yeah. I want to correct myself because um, I, I was 100% wrong about, and, and maybe Mule and I were both wrong about, if I understand you correctly, uh, Mule, about how like unprecedented earthquakes are in this area. Apparently this um, area sits on like a fault line, like a big yeah, strike, yeah. a big strike yeah, fault. Yeah. And it's, it's pretty seismically active and that yeah. uh, seismologists have been predicting like a really big earthquake in this area for decades yeah. so um and by the way this is so there you when, go. when i lived in seattle this was like a thing that i heard about all the time like we don't have earthquakes really but if we're like it there's gonna be one one day and it's gonna we're all gonna die <laughs> so yeah. it's just like all the buildings have to be constructed for that but um okay. yeah. yeah so i guess well, they're in there they they should have been building in, in preparation yeah. for that yeah but there's Thank also you so one much, other like really kind of like um ridiculous thing that um it's um so the Turkish government over, they only found out about this the other day for a long time now have doing been doing, because they know that there was a lot of um, buildings that went up to code, but they were gigantic. A lot of people lived in them, all this kind of stuff. So they've been doing um, construction amnesties where they were basically like, look, if your building isn't up to code, just, you know, like come forward, pay the fee, and then you'll get an amnesty on, you know, like, your building not being up to code, which is just like really like a carbon of, tax or something. Yeah, 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 right, exactly. Right, which is right, um, right. wild because it's like, <clears throat> yeah. So you know, like there are a lot of bu buildings that have been built built under code or without even you know permits at all. But also, kind of like you know, like we're now, I guess, fulfilling a social function that they felt they couldn't just like kick everyone out or whatever. Um, which you know is like kind of like a tricky spot sort of thing, but um. But yeah, obviously this wasn't the way to handle it. Um, and nah, it makes a lot more sense to yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking I like my, my initial thought was kind of like, as I said, a sort of reactionary um, you know, response to uh, something unprecedented. But if it has been predicted and if they are just sort of like, you know, trying to cover their ass by like you say, not yeah. actually having proper building regulation and, and inspection mm -hmm. and you know, it's yeah. it's one of those folks, you know, capitalism and uh, you know. Just, just, just letting incentivizing people to to build these developments uh, for profit alone, rather than yeah. actual safety and actually making uh, sustainable habitations for people. Of course, yeah. stuff like this is going to happen, right? Of course. See, yeah. here at Red Planet, when we're wrong, uh, Tim swoops in and corrects us. And, <laughs> that is what um, happens ninety you know percent of the time. We're we're willing to admit our when we're wrong, and we we advise all of our listeners to do better. In this regard, be more like us. We've heard you, when you're wrong. We've seen you where you are valid. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Right. Uh, so uh, moving on. It is Kara. Oh my God, it is my turn. Next. Oh my goodness yes. gracious. Okay. So, chat. Federal Senator Lydia Thorpe halt Sydney's Mardi Gras parade, protesting the police. So, uh, Former Green Senator Lydia Thorpe was removed from Sydney's gay and lesbian Mardi Gras parade overnight after lying on the ground in front of a float. And so Lydia, uh, Senator Thorpe, laid down in front of uh, this float during the Pride Parade and um, or the, le the the gay and lesbian Mardi Gras parade, you know, and yell was yelling, fuck the police. <laughs> so and so the so whole parade based. had to stop. Um 
So uh, Senator Thorpe was escorted by officers and not arrested. So awesome. Uh, the police say that she was removed by uh, parade organizers for breaching the terms of her participation. <laughs> Ugh. This morning, Senator Thorpe posted that she joined the Pride and Protest floats to protest against police violence. In quote, black and brown trans women started the first Pride March as a protest against police violence, she posted. Uh, Today, we still face violence from police. Proud to have joined the Pride and Protest float in Sydney to say uh, no pride in genocide, no pride in prisons and no cops in pride. Base. Yeah. So uh, let's see here. Oh, yeah. So there's a little bit just a little bit more about Lydia Thorpe. Um, She's a former Green senator now standing independently for Victoria an Indigenous Australian woman of Gunai. OK, I don't know if I can pronounce these words. Can any of you pronounce these? I don't want to. Yeah, so Gunai, Gunditjmara and Jamboring. OK, so those you. are the um, three kind of groups that she um, that she has heritage with. Mm-hmm. Awesome. But, yeah. And she's the first Indigenous <laughs> senator in Victoria, is well known for her vocal criticism of Australian political institutions that she believes are illegitimate products of colonialism and genocide. Extraordinarily yeah. based. Yeah, yeah. Extraordinarily based. She um she does seem like she is uh, one of the good ones. She's um yeah so she's the uh, senator in Victoria, which is like where Melbourne is. It's gen- generally a more kind of like uh, progressive area, but um yeah, it's interesting as well because she's a former Greens senator, so she's independent now because she was actually um forced to uh, resign from the Greens because um she has a close friendship with her former partner who is um an ex-head of a um, a motorcycle gang over there, um, the Rebels, who are like huge or whatever. And it was like a huge scandal at the time. And they were like, now you're unfit to stand as, you know, like a Greens MP because of your relationship with, um, you know, with, uh, you know, this, this bikey gang. There's a lot of like in Australia, there's, you know, like the bikey gangs are like the biggest boogeyman they've got basically. But um, I think it also like, Uh, One thing that a lot of people outside of like indigenous communities, both in Australia and over here in Aotearoa, don't understand that like, um, you know, like a lot of the time, like, it's like there is there is a significant connection between indigenous groups and a lot of like what people would consider like outlaw groups or whatever like that um especially with a lot of the groups being formed as like a kind of means of like um community protection and community groups and even though like a lot of them have kind of like you know like gone into more you know like what we're gonna say like more i guess um moved away from community defense into other industries or whatever like that, the, um, the connections are still there, you know? So um, like, and we've seen that a lot uh, down here, both in yeah Australia and in New Zealand with the response to crises in rural areas where you get like, you know, like biker gangs setting up mutual aid networks and all that kind of stuff. Like we saw that through COVID, through recent cyclones and all that kind of stuff. So um, yeah, so a lot of people were like, I think she knew that she wasn't supposed to be, you know, you know, like a sitting member, you know, like a senator and having, you know, close friendships with people that were actively being investigated by the state and stuff. But um, yeah, I think um, it's important for people to not look at that and just be like, oh, okay, she's, you know, an indigenous woman that is like friends with bikey gangs. Like she's obviously, you know, like a a bad person or anything like that, because I think Mm -hmm. the, you know, there's a there's a lot more nuance to it uh, in Indigenous communities. Hmm. But anyway, anyway, um, I oh, heard yeah. that you were. Oh yeah, was there more? No, no, no. I I wanted to uh, hear if there is 
news that you wanted to tell me about Tim. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say I heard that you were all just like banging down my door being like tell me all about the Tunisian trade unions protesting against the Again, economic Mule, really and, again I'm, de- yeah, I'm yeah, desperate yeah. to know I'm desperate to know Tim. desperate to know um, yeah but yeah uh it actually it's something that's been going on for a little a little while now and it's wild how close like how like, I guess the parallels between what's happening in Tunisia and what's happened in a lot of the other countries that we've talked about in, um, on Red Planet in the past, like Sri Lanka, Pakistan and stuff, where, um, so they're just like going through, you know, like, uh, economic crisis, you know, the cost of living crisis, whatever, whatever they're saying and these other, you know, like for everyone else. And, um, so they basically got offered a loan from, a bailout loan from the IMF, the International Monetary Fund. Also a familiar story. Um, you know, we're like we've talked about this in relation to a lot of other um, countries in the imperial periphery that we've talked about in the news on Red Planet. And um, so uh, the people, in general, a lot of the people protesting here, there's thousands and thousands of, um, of union members came out to, uh, to protest us the other day. They, they don't want to take the loan because they say that the loan is like these IMF loans usually have a lot of conditions. So they'll say, okay, we'll give you the loan, but in exchange, this is what you have to do. You have Mm -hmm. to, it's, it's always austerity measures. It's always things like that, where it's like, okay, cool. Well, you have to, um you know like basically dictates yeah 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 so it it says we'll do this but so that we know that you can pay this back we need you to cut these services we need you to scale this down all this kind of stuff so it's like it affects the working class people way way more than any of the you know like the politicians and stuff Mm. that are kind of bartering these deals and um so yeah gigantic protests of eight different cities and um the thing is, so there's uh, the oh, by guy, the way, the, because Sophie isn't here to say it, the IMF is evil and must be destroyed. The IMF is yeah, evil. Yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> now you can go on. Yeah. So, um, and this is all kind of amplified, and a lot of people say that this, um, like they're in the trouble that they're in at the moment is because of their current president, a president, I'm not sure if I'm saying this right, but Kai Saeed, um, so who he basically kind of did the the right-wing populist kind of thing that we've been seeing in a lot of these places where he got into power, immediately started doing things like consolidating power within his tight group, kind of getting rid of um, opponents. He stepped up to a lot of um, political arrests. So he's arrested a lot of his, um, a lot of his political opponents, basically anyone that criticizes him from journalists, media figures through to just regular citizens. Uh, and these arrests are still going, like they're constantly happening all the time. Um, and so, uh, yeah, one of the first things he did, it was basically like a coup. He got in and he rewrote the constitution. Um, and he's like kind of doing all this stuff basically to become like an authoritarian kind of ruler of the country. And um, yeah, not in the, not in the based way either. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, controversial. But uh yeah, so the unions are getting together and they're striking back and they're saying that this is a violation not just of our union rights, but like, you know, like everything that, you know, like we stand for as, you know, like, I guess, um, you know, like, uh, like as union members, they have like 
well, different unions have sort of different ideas of like ideology attached to them. And um, yeah, a lot of these, like the, um, the UGTT is very like, you know, like they are very concerned with like human rights and things like that as well. So they're saying that, um, you know, this is a violation of the human rights of all Tunisians, as well as just like the union rights of um, that you're trying to strip back. So um, yeah, they even had like a, a woman, Esther Lynch, who's Irish, who um, she was a representative from the European Trade Union, um, the Trade Union Confederation, I should say. So uh, she came over, gave a big speech talking about, you know, solidarity from the 45 million workers around Europe, um, you know, like hands off the trade unions, free all the prisoners and stuff. And they immediately like detained her and then like ejected her from the country afterwards. And um, one of the things they've been charging people with and uh, one of their big things is like they're saying it's... Um, it's kind of like, I can't remember what the term they're using is, but it's basically like violence against the state. So things that, you know, like will destabilize Tunisia, they say, um, which is interesting because it's like, you know, their own crimes aren't considered, you know, to dis destabilize Tunisia. But uh, any criticism that is, you know, like a crime against the state, whatever. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, uh, and on top of all this, you know, like the, the existing economic crisis was caused just by, um, you know, the same thing that's been, that's uh, been messing with a lot of the other nations we talked about, like uh, the, inex in the inaccessible resources that they need just to kind of uh, get by things like, like fuel and even like just random things like, like sugar and stuff, you know, like they'll just go for weeks where they just can't even get any. So, um, yeah, it's, um, it's pretty wild. Uh, yeah. People getting kidnapped in their homes, uh, people being arrested without even being charged and just detained, you know? So it's, which is like totally illegal, you know, like, um, mm -hmm. I think it was, yeah, there's, um, Monica Marks, who's a professor from, um, uh, university in Abu Dhabi spoke to Al Jazeera about how illegal a lot of these arrests are, how they, um, yeah, take place outside the rule of law. And, um, yeah, so Saeed is playing it off as an anti-corruption crackdown, saying that, you know, like, it's the same kind of thing as what Trump was doing, where he's saying, like, I'm going to drain the swamp, I'm going to get rid of, like, the corrupt mm -hmm, elements mm -hmm. within our society. But really, these are just, like, you know, peaceful, you know, pro-democracy protesters and stuff. So it's, um, it's pretty wild. Um, it's happened pretty swift. And they say, like, even despite the, um, you know, like, the, the anti- I guess the anti-Said Union kind of uh, presence. From what I've been reading, it doesn't seem like there's a, a powerful enough like political opposition to challenge him at the moment. But hopefully that changes really like quickly and like the you know these protests are kind of like continue to embolden people because um, yeah, it looks like uh, Tunisia's in a pretty dark place at the moment. Um, yeah. Pretty wild. Anyway, um, moving on quickly, we've got one more piece here. Mule, can you tell us quickly about the um, the Honor Oak Drag Queen Storytime uh, events over the weekend? Tim, I can. And this is a pretty fucking based win, chat. Um, so you may have heard of uh, Turning Point, 
Um, there is a UK chapter, Turning Point, if you're unaware, conservative, reactionary, far-right um, organization. I think sort of like allegedly payrolled by the Koch brothers. What are those kind of dealios? You know, with like Ben Shapiro, Stephen Crowder types. Um, they have a, a chapter in the UK called Turning Point UK. Uh, extremely cringe. I've come across them at protests here in Manchester. Um, what they do is they're so scared to actually talk about um, to, to reveal themselves when they're so outnumbered is they actually like go around and try and find, uh, quote, people who look a bit weird to say cringe things and then use that as content. So, you know, it's that kind of thing of like, you know, where they go around to like college students and interview them and they don't really know why they're being interviewed. And then, you know, they, they put it on social media and stuff. Um, but the, the, the reason I'm mentioning that specifically is because that happened on an even larger scale down in the Honor Oak um, in London this weekend. Um, so the far right were planning, t- Turning Point UK and, and um, uh, you know, uh, the far right in general were, were planning on protesting a drag queen, a drag queen story time event down in um, uh, a, a pub called the Honor Oak in, in the UK in London. Uh, I believe, let me just have a little look here. It, it's, uh, I'm just having a look at the source. It's not clear. Oh, uh, St. German's Road is where it is. Wherever that is in London, no idea. Um, but yeah, it was hosting a magical storytelling session. Uh, it, you know, it should be, if if, the, if if there are people who don't know about drag queen story time events, they are extremely cute. It, it, you know, there is nothing horrific going on there. You know, this isn't like a satanic uh, 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 <laughs> these kind of things that like people say about, you know, reactionaries say about. Be a lot cooler queen. if it was. <laughs> was well, yeah, no, it seriously would, but you know, <laughs> they're not they're not fucking sacrificing kids or like showing kids sex acts and stuff like that. But these are the kind of things that the reactionary far right claim uh, are happening at drag queen story time events. They're not. It's where a drag queen sits down and reads a fucking story to kids. It's basically exactly the same as when a guy dressed in a postman pat outfit would read you a story when you were a kid right do you know what i mean it's literally just that but with drag queens um and so you know the, the turning point uk were planning uh on on going to this event they said it's quote not suitable for kids and as i've just explained that's absurd um so a group of protesters then gathered uh in 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 opposition of acts being performed in front of children uh from the the reactionary group sort of thing and it was like obviously you can imagine how upsetting this would be for kids who just kind of want to be on a day out we're not talking like old kids we're not talking teenagers you know we're talking like young kids like five six seven eight something like this you know what i mean it's 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 a place where like parents and kids can go and just chill out on like a sunday or a saturday or whatever and it's, it's nice right um and then you've got these like fucking nazis out here shouting things like these are pedophiles and they're grooming children and they're transing kids and blah, all this nonsense right so then, in response to this, we are talking hundreds of counter-protesters turned up to actually support the event. Um, and, you know, the, the number here that's being quoted on Twitter by uh, someone called Claire Heimer has actually said that there are maybe 500 people here opposing the five hundred, uh, the far right in in Honor Oak, and it's great oh, that's vibes. Amazing. She also that's says, amazing. she also says, scrap that. Definitely more than five hundred. Can't estimate to save my life. And um, everyone's waving inside to the kids for the drag queen story time, and things have never been more adorable. It looks like the far right were completely drowned out 
by the overwhelming amount of, of protesters there. Um, there are some really good pictures on Twitter. Um, I'm going to drop a link to the thread in the chat, the Twitch chat if, and, and the YouTube yeah. chat if anybody wants to check that out. Um, but it's great. It's great news, you know, and this is just sort of like an example of anti-fascism triumphing. Um, and, and, you know, the amount of the amount of people from Turning Point there was they were vastly outnumbered chat. Yeah. We're talking there might have been 20 at most fascists there, right? Literally. So, you know, it's something to be hopeful of. And I'm not sort of saying this to dissuade you from, you know, joining your local Antifa chapter, uh, writing to the CEO of Antifa. We all know that's literally <laughs> all of yeah. us here at uh, Red Planet. Um, but yeah, you should, you should, you know, if there's an anti-fascist organization in your uh, community, you should consider getting in touch with them and, uh, you know, maybe go into days like this to protect the queer community and protect kids. Um, because that's certainly not what they're doing. I just, I need to like swing in and say that, by the way, if you do find any kind of like Antifa website that asks you to sign up and put in any personal <laughs> identification. Kind yeah, of don't do that. Stuff, absolutely do not do that. Like, you know, like uh, if you're new here or whatever, Antifa is just like, a, you know, like a, a name for general anti-fascist organizing. Like the you're probably more likely to find just like a Twitter account for your city that says like, hey, this is what's going to happen. We're going to go there or whatever. Um, yeah, definitely do not put any personal <laughs> identification into anything because um, there have been like just loser fascists that have set up websites like that like thinking that that's how these kind of orgs run because like some of their own actually do you know really ridiculously work like that so mm -hmm. um yeah don't do that because then uh you know people that have put their details in have been targeted later on so um if yeah you, just if you yeah. do come across one of those websites uh what you do is you click off of it and then you type patreon.com slash red underscore planet and you become a patron she's yeah. right for that us. is what you do you that's a much better us. place to enter your details Yes, yes, enter your details there. We had a great um, movie night showing. We had a um, a private goblin goblin tier and above. I think goblin mode tier and above uh, uh, watch party on Tuesday. We watched Judas and the Black Messiah, which is something mm -hmm. that was recommended to us by Tim uh, here on the show. And um, oh yeah, like what a fucking watch! Really, really great performances from da Daniel uh, Kaluuya. Um, is it Lakeith Stanfield? He was in it, and uh, Jesse Clemens. Just really, really great yeah. performance. Like, you know, it, it, I, I don't know. Like, I don't, I've never really <laughs> seen much video footage of Fred Hampton, um, but like, most of the people who've seen the film have watched it and said, "Yeah, it's like being with Fred Hampton." Like, you know, Daniel mm -hmm. Kaluuya really got into his role, yeah. um, and it really just kind of shows you, chat, how you know organizations could get infiltrated by feds and you need to know what that looks like in mm. our opinion uh, yeah. you know we've spoken on the show about um what is it uh, uh info second opsec um really 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 important if you do mm. in any kind of org yeah it's just important just watch it it's a great movie it's on amazon yeah. prime check it out um it's 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 well worth your time mm -hmm. and if you want to be involved with more watch parties like that with red planet then you should join our patreon and become a goblin tier or above um but of course we will appreciate it if you are a sprite nonetheless because any yeah, yeah. you can become a sprite for only two dollars a month to two american yeah. dollars a month so if you want to be a part of the uh you want to be a patron 
which you should want to be a patron if you're watching us. What's wrong yeah. with you if you don't want to be a patron if you're one of our audience members, um, listeners, watchers, audience members? There, it's a nice neutral word. Um, you should want to become a patron. Come on! Yeah, yeah. yeah. We've Come got on. A, a couple other um, cool things that we probably that will set up streams for coming soon as well. Um, so uh, yeah, we, we're trying to cover like all different topics that are all kind of related to the stuff that we talk about on Red Planet. So you know, stuff like like movies, like Judas of the Black Messiah, but also there's like a couple documentaries that we've been looking at. I've definitely got a handful. I haven't been able to kind of host one of these uh, the one of the watch parties yet, but I've got there's like maybe like two or three things that are definitely on the cards that I want to plan for sometime soon. Mm -hmm. Like every week I'm finding something new and I'm like, oh, this is something that it's like not something we, you know, need to talk about on stream, but for the private watch party, there's like a mm -hmm. lot of stuff to go over here. That's kind of like really mm -hmm. would be really interesting for a lot of If people. you want to be part so, of one of these private watch parties, become, uh, become a patron and, and uh, specifically Goblin Motor Up. Yeah. Right? yeah Goblin yeah. Motor Up. So $10 a month. Uh, Goblin Motor Up, you can uh, not only join our Discord because that's available for all tiers, but you can also mm. become part of our um, join our watch yeah. parties, which we highly recommend. So, yeah, yeah. And if you are, if you're already a member and you're a sprite, um, you can upgrade um, if you want to. Uh, yeah, to Goblin and then get access to that. But yeah, cool. All right, let's um let's carry on now because we have some guests to come in and join us. Um, that is correct. Um, I am gonna introduce them for us. So, it's probably painfully obvious to most people in our audience that trans people in the UK desperately need help. On the last episode of Red Planet, we spoke with Katie Montgomery about combating the media with campaigning, and Red Planet is constantly looking for people who are doing trans mutual aid, organizing and resistance not just f with fighting transphobic fascism every day in the media and on the streets but legally the legal system is not just gatekept from working class people which trans people are overwhelmingly but it also seems extremely hard to get support from solicitors as the criminal justice system and legislation itself is an enormous machine that seems so completely unassailable that marginalized people feel so disempowered that they don't even bother trying to take on the establishment in this way. This is why we're proud to present the Good Law Project, and we have two guests to talk about the good work they're doing for trans people in Britain right now and historically. Um, so chat, yeah, let's get a huge, if, if you're in a Twitch chat, if you're in the, the, the YouTube chat, let's get a huge trans rights in the chat. And uh, yeah, let's, let's speak to our guests from the Good Law Project. Uh, Becca and Ellie, can you hear us okay? Do you wanna introduce yourselves? Hello, yes, can hear you. Can you hear us? Yeah, yes. can hear you loud and clear. Real. Um, I am Becca. I am a legal officer at the Good Law Project, um, which means I work on the legal team and do lots of behind the scenes stuff, getting our cases together and specifically most of our cases in the trans rights space. I've had something or other to do with along the line. Cool. Um, I'm and Ellie? I'm Ellie. Uh, I'm a head of external engagement, um, and I speak on our behalf a lot in the media. So that's why I'm here. Awesome. Uh, now, before we get into um, anything, we at Red Planet want to just basically start with a statement. 
Um, this is something that you've already spoken about in, uh, you know, you've, you've, you've communicated to us. So this is just kind of a statement rather than we're not really expecting um, you to elaborate on this. But we are pro sex work here at Red Planet. And um, we know that you've, um, you know, been working with Right to Equality. And these are you know, a, a organization that support the Nordic model. The Nordic model criminalizes sex workers, such as my co-host Kira, um, and disproportionately trans sex workers, sex workers of color and migrant sex workers. We know GLP um, has, you know, uh, stated that they're not currently taking a position on sex work, but we at Red Planet would like to encourage you to do so. And if you want to have this conversation with any of us at some point off stream or off air, uh, we'd be more than happy to help. Um, so yeah, if you have nothing to say on that, that's absolutely fine, understandable. Um, but that is just to state our position on this. Um, can I say something on that actually? Of course. Um, I want to say two things. First of all, I want to say thank you for saying that because I think that's a really generous statement to make that you want that you're like open to talking to us about it and um, it's something that you want to sort of share. So thank you very much. And the second thing is, um, I think this is okay for me to say because I've already said it publicly and I, I'm going to speak on behalf of Becca as well. Becca and I are actually pro the decriminalization of sex work on a personal level, awesome. um, aside from Good Law Project's position. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted you to know that there are people in Good Law Project who understand where you're coming from as well. Um, uh, even then the organization itself has chosen not to take a position, mm. which is something that we understand and respect as its employees, but on a personal level, we do share your position on that. Fantastic. I'm glad that we agree. That. Yeah, that's really cool. So with that- Strongly, out of the way, I might add. Strongly. Oh yeah. <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> yeah, with, with that out of the way then, um, let's get either of you to talk about um, what you're doing at the moment related to trans healthcare delays. This is an appeal on trans healthcare delays, is that right? I don't know, do you want to tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so maybe I'll do a bit of filling in on the case on that. So we had, I don't know if you know the history of uh, GLP's work on the kind of trans healthcare space, would it be helpful for me to do that? Yeah, feel free to, to yeah, feel free to, yeah. uh, actually, I think, do you know what? It, it's completely remiss of us to mention that we actually spoke to a, a bunch of people from Good Law Project when we did our first big charity live stream last year. That's right, May. yeah, yeah, we yeah. So, including me, including me. That's right, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. so like, <laughs> I think it's really important that, um, I don't know if any of the other hosts have uh, recordings of that that they've put on their VOD channels and stuff. I've been trying to work through and, and upload that stuff. So I might have some of that on my VOD channel, but yeah, yeah, we, we, we spoke to Good Law Project last uh, last year uh, during the, the, the Trans Power stream, the Red Planet stream for Trans Power. Um, but yeah, if you want to refresh everybody's memories, Becca, that would be awesome. Yeah, sure, I'll try and do it quickly. And also just as you've mentioned the fundraiser, like thank you so much for doing that. It raised so much money for that, for um, the defense funds, which is like, yeah, it's oh, amazing. Pleasure. We talk about it all the time, so. Yeah. Wicked. Really, yeah. <laughs> um, so the history of GLP's work in this space is that in sort of autumn of 2020, um, it was before I started working working there, but um, they were looking into the delays that young people are facing for GID services, so healthcare services for young people. Um, but in the middle of that case being built 
obviously the Bell versus Tavistock terrible decision came through in December 2020, which um, as a result of which the NHS started referring young people to court in order to get a prescription, get a judge to rule on whether or not they could be prescribed puberty blockers. Really terrible result. Um, So GLP funded a case um, in the following spring that was successful, that determined that when a doctor, parent and child all agree that puberty blockers should be prescribed, it wouldn't have to go to court. So that was a low key, but not very public success, um, which made a difference for some individuals. But obviously, parents and children don't always agree on the the right course of you know, whether or not puberty blocks should be prescribed. And so it didn't, basically it didn't deal with all the problems, but it was one small chip away at the effect of the Bell versus Tavistock decision. Then we funded um, an intervention into the appeal of the Bell versus Tavi decision, which was also successful um, and should have reversed the original impact of that terrible decision. But the NHS or NHS England kept in the service specification that they'd brought in after the initial decision that made the process by which um, this sort of process that young people had to go through before they could get um, the drugs that they needed much longer and more complicated. So at that point, we, we, we began a case against NHS England about that service specification in particular, but that grew and developed into an extended version of the waiting times delays um that we had initially started way back before all of that kicked off so that case expanded and we we grew it so that it covered adult services as well as um young people's services and it challenged the nhs um on a few grounds one of which was that the waiting times you know it's it's a it's a rule that covers the nhs in general or some services within the nhs in general not just trans healthcare but it says that 92% of patients should be seen within 18 weeks. That is obviously not happening with trans mm-hmm. healthcare. It's not mm-hmm. happening across the NHS in general. The percentages are much lower than 92%. Mm-hmm. But if you look at adult services, for example, it's at 10.2%. And we know that, you know, people are waiting for four, five, six, seven years as a, you know, as a matter of course. And I think the average wait for young, the first appointment for young people was 152 weeks at some point last year, which is, you know, a lot more than 18. Yeah, Anyone it's like can three see years, that. right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, which is about And that's if they get an appointment, right? Because I don't think mm. it's it's not. Right. <laughs> I wonder how common that is that, that anyone even gets an appointment. Right, well, and with young people, there's an special difficulty, which is that obviously the window in which puberty blockers are useful is quite limited. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's this thing where people age out of the, of, of, the, of it even being a reasonable set of referrals that could be made Mm -hmm. and age out into the adult services and then have waiting times there as well so are we and we also argued that um these waiting times were discriminatory because they're affecting trans people more than anyone else um in this specific cohort so-called of patients were are should be protected under the equalities act so we did this case um we had some amazing really vocal claimants who campaigned with us gender intelligence was also a claimant alongside us um, we thought it went quite well in court, but unfortunately, um, we didn't win the case. We did win on one small aspect. I mean, it's not a win in legal terms, but we were pleased that it came through, which is that under the discrimination grounds, um, the judge ruled that young people on waiting lists for good services can be 
protected under the Equalities Act for having protected characteristic, which previously the NHS had been refusing to acknowledge. And in all of their consultations that they put out for um, the future young people services, they had said that the equalities impacts assessments had been done on the basis that they were not protected. So that was a small win and a silver lining and we're trying to carry that through. But at the same time, we're appealing the initial decision. And in particular, we are appealing the initial point, which is about the 92% um, target. Well, the NHS say it's a target duty and we say it's a hard, hard edged legal duty. And that's one that if the court agrees with us, will obviously have quite wide implications, NHS wide as well. Um, and we're actually putting in our submissions for that appeal tomorrow. I spent the day looking through the submissions and uh, um, doing that. So that's happening wow. right now. And we've just launched a crowdfunder as well for that mm. specific case. Excellent. Excellent. So that was a that was a long summary, but that no, it's good. Listen, at. you've got two hours. Don't even worry about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, wow, yeah, it is just sort of like again, like that. That my intro was just based on a very sort of common knowledge of of the legal system. Do you know what I mean? Just a very basic understanding of it, not just uh, from understanding what my trans siblings go through, but also, um, you know, from a from a housing perspective as well. It's just this sort of like huge, unassailable, um, you know, the, the monster really a, lo a lot of the time. And so in terms of the things that didn't quite work out for you in, in that initial court case, um, like what what would you say are like the main sort of barriers that you get from like you know the 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 courts and and, and judges and stuff like that is it would you would you say like are you at liberty actually to even say is there an element do you think of discrimination from judges or, or is there you know perhaps a bias or something um what's your take on that i was actually around for the original uh balland uh, versus tavi case which um which it was the your uh, viewers might remember was the case where uh, Kira Bell um, went to court against the Tavistock Clinic basically um, to say that people under the age of 16 is that right Becca couldn't consent um, to uh, taking puberty blockers um, and then as Becca said that the court ruled in Kira Bell's favour and then that was sort of partially overturned and I, I was doing some freelancing for Good Law Project at that time. And I think what I remember from that period is one of the, the problems is that um, without meaning to dis disrespect his majesty's justice system, uh, <laughs> judges are generally like older white men of a certain class background. Mm -hmm. So the level right. of understanding that they have of what it means to be transgender and you know what a transgender person might experience in their day-to-day -day lives is is sort of not not at the level that it should be I think and I think that can <laughs> pose a problem um in in cases when you have judges making decisions on things that they have never ha never really thought about in their daily lives before um and that's not um it's funny i'm 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 uh, i'm sort of tiptoeing around it when um we often issue quite robust statements about uh judgments from good law project but um yeah i think basically 
that's one of the problems. And you can see that across the justice system in lots of different areas of, of you know, of, of case law. Like I think of the famous one, of course, is like rape cases, how juries often have so little understanding of what is actually at play um, that they can come to the wrong decision. And I think that's my that was my experience of Bell versus Tavi was the difficulty of having to explain something that is quite alien to this person who's making the decision. I don't know what you think about that, Becca. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, our director, Joe, got in quite a lot of trouble for some comments he made about the judge in that particular case. <laughs> um, I don't know if anyone followed that at the time, but there's an interview with um, Grace Lovery about that. Um, Just going to put that in my Google search bar. Probably later. shouldn't be bringing anyone's attention to it, to be honest. But <laughs> <laughs> but it's out there on the internet. Um, <laughs> but I guess, I mean, one thing that's worth saying about this particular case, so the healthcare case that was heard in November, is that the judge, ev- all that we, we packed the courtroom, we had the courtroom was full of supporters, predominantly you know, mostly trans people in, in, the, in the gallery. And we were all really taken by how much he seemed to understand. It was him that brought the word trans into the courtroom because that isn't really used in the legal submissions, which is relates to the next point I want to make. But he was clearly sympathetic, clearly understood the impact of what was being said to him and was struggling more, it seems, over the kind of legal details and the implications of what a judge I mean I can't judges aren't in general meant to be and I'm not suggesting that he was guided by what the impact of what a judgment would have been in the making of his judgment but he was very um he was very clear that if we were going to lose it wasn't because he didn't think it mattered and his judgment is written fairly well I mean maybe it means that the, the, the bar is low in terms of judges relating to what Ellie said but the the judgment is written fairly well in terms of sort of establishment trans politics or trans politics within the establishment fear as kind of good as we could have hoped for on that front I think Um, and he did manage to get in this little bit about protective characteristics and young people which was he didn't need to do basically Um, but in general I would very much agree with what Ellie has said Um, but it also I guess I mean both about the kind of like establishment class and about individual judges and how much individual judges personal preconceptions can influence the way that they're working and again that's not something that we could ever accuse a particular judge of doing um but we all know how brains work yep um, that's right <laughs> <laughs> stumbling over being too careful and not quite careful no i um, totally <laughs> understand and it's completely fine but like, don't worry about it yeah i think i think one thing that is worth saying especially about like litigation in this space in general is that um, there are different approaches you can take and there's different kinds of cases. So Good Law Project in general really focuses on taking cases that will, or that we hope will make a material difference to the lives of trans people. So, you know, access to healthcare. Sometimes we've taken, we've had advice on single sex spaces. We're working on a resource thing that I can't properly announce yet but that will hopefully make a material difference to you know navigating life in legal terms um and the tactics taken in those kinds of cases um are quite different from the kinds of cases where 
where there's more of a cultural war going on. So obviously gender criticals, transphobes often use the courts as a means of trying to change policy or legislation or restrict trans people's rights. And then there are also counter cases and the way that judges interact with those kinds of cases is going to be different from the ways they interact with the kind of more black letter law ones. So this healthcare case, for example, we really focus on quite technical NHS law about regulations and it had almost no trans politics in it. But we could also have taken quite a different approach and tried to bring more of the sort of cultural and political issues into the courtroom. And the way the Good Law Project works means that we chose not to do that, but you could easily have done the case quite differently. I think it wouldn't have gone so well, even though we lost. We, you know, we got permission, we got through all the stages, we're now in a place where we can appeal and it's sort of a res respectable case in the terms of court, which doesn't always match up with what I think of as respectable politics by my own terms. Right. You know? Of course, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's, so that's really interesting because it's like, so, so does, I mean, you know, this is obviously sort of breaching out of what we're here to talk about today, but I imagine the lack of precedence, as you say, that there is in, in any kind of, you know, legislation for or, or law, like rulings and stuff um, about trans rights. It, it, that's probably why TERFs and transphobes, gender criticals try to come in with, um, you know, their own legal precedent first. Um, I imagine like that, that's probably their thinking. Obviously the Bell versus Tavistock thing, we know that Kira Bell was like encouraged over and over again by like a multitude of gender criticals um, because of her like, you know, status as a, a detransitioning person. Um, so it's like, I think that's just a really important thing to just, just for our listeners to understand, you know, the, the kind of people who are wanting trans people to suffer in this country are well aware of how the legal system operates and they're and they're generally trying to to to, to weigh it in their favor like you know this is why it's so pervasive this is why turf ideology gender critical transphobia is so fucked um but yeah anyway sorry i, I digress a little bit there but like you were referencing specifically the thing that you've come on here to talk about today which is your appeal right yeah, I, I'm sure that your um, viewers will have heard about this already, but Alice Lippman was a 20-year-old woman. She actually would have turned 21 on Friday, um, who um, came out as transgender to her family. And um, when she was 20, she took her own life. Um, and obviously, there are many complicated reasons why a person takes their own life. Um, but her family do believe that if she had been given the health care that she so badly needed, she would still be with us today. Um, she had been waiting for three years um, when she on the at the time that she took her own life. And we have been supporting her family in the inquest because they are campaigning to have the coroner recognize um, the waiting times that she endured mm -hmm. as a factor in her death. Um, so in terms of uh, this fundraiser that we have at the moment, um, this is what this appeal is all about, basically, um, is to stop this happening to other families um, and to mean that future Alice Lippmans will be able to be seen in time and to be able to get the care that they need. Um, because this is what's at stake, really, for people.
if you know um like i know it sounds um like a silly maybe a, a, a odd comparison but um i remember interviewing um a bunch of guys who uh, when i was a journalist um who had spent time in uh immigration detention center and also time in prison and all every single one of them said that it was worse being in an immigration detention center because you didn't know when it was going to end whereas in prison you know when it's going to end and that is what whenever we've spoken to trans people about being on these waiting lists i feel like that is always the thing that they bring up is you just don't know how long it's going to last for wow and that is yeah. that's just unbearable i think it i think it's incredibly cruel to put people through that you know this is life saving care that people need um and i think you know like we talk a lot about um we by which i mean cisgender people who support trans rights talk a lot about allyship and what that means and I think you know this is a good opportunity to do something concrete and just I know times are tough so I'm not asking people to give what they can't afford but if you can throw something into the fundraiser it will go towards that appeal and if we win that will make a huge measurable difference to people's lives so yeah I think if I had one takeaway message from this today that, that would be it great and and do you um is, is is there a specific place we can find the fundraiser i've just got onto the website and i can't find it we actually had a special link made up for this um so if it's not i think conrad's had it so either oh yeah conrad if you want to if you want to chuck that in the chat for if us, not i be... can find it in a second yeah, yeah yeah and just um yeah i guess you could put it in the in the zoom chat that would that would work yeah. um i guess cool. maybe can I just add something to the appeal stuff? Um, which is, I guess, like we want to acknowledge that it's a complicated time to be taking the NHS to court. Um, and obviously, I mean, the, the, the specific round that we're appealing isn't going, if we win, it's not suddenly going to mean that everyone has access to the healthcare that they need immediately. I just feel like we need to be kind of transparent about that. Um, this isn't a sudden quick fix. Um, the NHS's defence in the first round of the case was, I mean, I'm not saying defence because I think it was right, but the way that they defended themselves successfully was by saying um, that they were doing all that they could um, and that or like basically every effort that could be made by the NHS with the funding that they have. And they, they said it's not even a funding issue, to be honest. They said, we're pouring loads of resource into this and we just don't have enough um, trained professionals to provide this care. And we're restructuring all of the services anyway. And now they've announced this um, GIDS closure and they're gonna try and make all of the services more localized, but there's been huge delays with that. And no one knows what's going on. And, Recently, you will have seen maybe there's been this open letter from GIDS clinicians saying they have no idea what the new services are going to be. So all of that is to say there are movements happening within the NHS. Um, for example, they've had these pilot schemes which are looking to provide more um, care through sexual health centres. Obviously, lots of people think, um, and I personally, this isn't my in my professional capacity, but in my personal capacity, you know, I think primary care is a great place. <laughs> for trans healthcare to be delivered through doctors, um, GPs, that kind of thing, but um, especially for adults, but um, and you know, expanded services for young people. But none of that is is part of the case. The case is about whether or not the NHS has acted unlawfully 
and failing to see enough patients within the time prescribed. Um, so even if we win, um, that will push that responsibility back to the NHS and the NHS will then be either having to push that back up to government or to shift and actually start doing more of what they should be doing and say that they're already doing within the services. So I just want to like make clear it's no quick fixes, but symbolically it's incredibly important and also practically in the longer term because there are pressures coming on the NHS from every direction. Um, you know, we know that gender criticals, TERFs, whatever you want to call them, are really prominently trying to shift things within the NHS and different trusts and different boards have fights going on within them and different you know some GPs do provide bridging prescriptions and some GPs don't provide bridging descriptions and you know prescriptions and some people say that's a question of education but surely it's also partly a question of ideology and what those training programs are going to look like is all up for grabs um, and as they are making these shifts to the services a win like this would be really profound I think for reminding the NHS that they should be developing it in the way that we all know it should be developed um yeah and you know again just to say we also know that NHS trans care healthcare is not even if it was timely it's not all it could be and there are still improvements to be made there but you know it would be a good start wouldn't it if people could get seen quicker than they do now at the very least yeah, 100%. I agree. Wow. I mean, this is, it's something that is like, so vastly, just quite clearly, um, due to the, I mean, this is, this is, you know, this is hyperbole from a, a host of a political uh, <laughs> panel. Um, you know, so you don't have to comment on this if you don't want, but it, it's quite clearly, uh, you know, the, the lack of funding in the NHS, coupled with what you mentioned the 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 inside sort of ideology of specific gps people in power you know we're talking management of 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 the actual nhs certain different uh you know um departments and what have you you know all this just coupled with the systemic transphobia that trans people face you know on a daily basis is just like this this is something that is just like so big um which is why it's so important that you know, there's an organization like Good Law Projects out there actually doing as, as much as they can about it, right? Because, you know, who else is, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, this is, yeah, so that's, I think that's really awesome. Like the um, the work that you're doing with, uh, you know, Alice Lippman's, um, you know, parents and stuff, I think so, so incredibly important that, you know, her parents and not just her parents but trans people everywhere you know get the 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 sort of like you know the news that like yeah you know it is quite clearly what we all knew all along um that the lack of care that she received that, that led to her death it's obvious to everyone right it's absolutely obvious to everybody mm -hmm. um who knows even a, a modicum of, of this stuff yeah so um really really important stuff i don't have like a question per se more of like a comment as somebody who's not a lawyer um when you're describing the process like it like the the like bureaucracy of of like getting this type of work done having to push this this responsibility onto this organization to help this to like happen like it, it's it's already like it just it seems it seems hellish <laughs> like it just seems like a, a like this just seems for from my perspective as like again i'm not a lawyer i don't really work with these systems but it seems like ah like thank you so much for doing the work you're doing because i i can't 
even comprehend how to navigate that web. You know, it just seems like, and also the progress that like, I, like, I appreciate you stepping in and saying, just to be realistic, this is what we're expecting from this. It's not going to be like, Hey, wait times are over. Um, but like chiseling away, um, these, uh, this web of systems that, that prevents trans people from receiving, uh, like the care that they need. It, it's, it seems like a, a slow trudge and a, and a lot of wrestling with this, this mess, and so, um, again, I don't have a question, just more of like a comments. And I appreciate y'all um, getting into that. <laughs> I'm not a lawyer either. And uh, I found when I first started working at Good Law Project, I was actually really shocked at how little the law can do, especially in this country mm. where there's no written constitution. I'm one of those people who's got weird about having a written constitution now because uh because I sort of realized that what it's like not having one. Um, Wait, we've got the Magna Carta. What are you on about? That's all we need. It's oh, fine. Oh, yeah, that, that old thing. Um, <laughs> we have a constitution here in America, and it's going great here. So Yeah, that's true. <laughs> the, be have, um, the beacon uh, to the world. Uh, a shitty treaty that's been broken a million times. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like kind of technically legally invalid as well. But yeah, anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, like we... Um, so, for example, when um, there was uh, legislation to introduce voter ID into this country, we got a lot of requests from people saying, can you do something about that? And we looked into it and we were like, no, basically. All, all this is in the sort of public domain. And we said, no, we can't do that because um, we, we couldn't find a legal avenue. And actually, the law is quite limited as a way of creating social change. It's 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 kind of there to sort of uphold what already what already exists rather than to wow. change things. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and like judges are also like quite conservative with a small C. Like they don't want to get straight too far into politics. Um, so it's not it's difficult. Um, it's a difficult instrument to use but I think what that shows to me is it's why spaces like this are really important like why people like you are really important because you're doing this job of bringing people together around your sort of shared material and political interests and so I think it's like actually ultimately people coming together that really creates change you know the the law is like an instrument that we can use to create change but we also need people joining together as well i think that's where like the real exciting stuff happens um so yeah so like i i think thank you to you as well for doing this it's like what we do wouldn't wouldn't happen without people like you doing what you do it's, yeah, it's, it's we've, a... we've talked to people before and um and i've talked to people on other streams that are like involved more with the law and also with um you know just like like members of parliament down here who have you know like and these are people and parties that are kind of like on the left of their own party that is itself considered on the left you know saying that um that they find that there can be kind of a symbiotic relationship with people working within the legal frameworks and those people kind of like agitating from the outside which um yeah i think is something that we're always trying to be mindful of here yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a collaborative effort right like we we there has to be people who were doing stuff uh communication wise like what's going on here people who are actually involved in the legal, legal system like use and also activists mutual aid groups it's 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 a co cooperation it's a whole thing like you know progress doesn't just happen if it's like 
just the good law project or just a bunch of streamers uh podcasters <laughs> doing stuff like saying how things need to change so yeah yeah absolutely absolutely solidarity right sorry i uh, guess one yeah, just on. to add one thing to that as well i think that's one thing that's quite particular about good law project actually is that it's not a law firm like we're actually not lawyers and just to be very clear i'm not a lawyer and everything is <laughs> in my own class like terrible fear <laughs> um getting reported to the solicitors regulation authority or something even though i'm not a lawyer um but you know we're not lawyers and we are we're campaigners and we use the law as a tool and that really allows us to do something like take this quite technical point about the nhs regulations um which is not interesting really i mean actually to be honest this one is quite interesting but a lot of the cases that we run are on quite technical points that aren't super interesting they're important but they're not very easily communicable to the sort of to the issues that they actually do speak to on some kind of deeper level and then what good law project does is kind of interpret that and make a campaign out of it and you know some of the like i don't know why i'm doing a glp plug here but why not but you know like a lot of the work that the organization has done in for example the political space takes quite a technical point about contract regulations and then notices the government hasn't been publishing those contracts and then makes a huge news story out of the fact that the government is getting away with stuff that it shouldn't be giving contracts to their mates and the kind of the kind of political spin-off from that legal case is really big and the two play into each other and what happens in the courtroom is supposed to kind of stay separate from that um and be kind of independent of the story that builds alongside it but i think in this trans healthcare case in particular well, as in with all the cases, really, it's really important that we've got those two things going on alongside each other, because the wider story is as important as anything that comes out of, like, if we lose this appeal, that doesn't mean that the things we were saying didn't matter, and there will still have been a campaign around it, and that time hasn't been wasted, because we were across all the newspapers with basically very sympathetic stories for two days we were on the guardian photos of the week and the this and the that and you know and suddenly trans healthcare was across all the broadsheets in a really positive light and hopefully that will happen again around the appeal and so it's like it's one exit it's it's not a patch on on the kind of activist mutual aids combo but it is one one block in the chain I wanted to comment on uh, what what y'all were saying about getting those wins, um, at least to to relate something that I was a part of um, recently, which is boycotting this uh, Harry Potter Hogwarts video game. I don't know if you're familiar, but uh, J.K. Rowling's Empire has uh, released another product, and there is for amongst people that you know, trans people and allies, uh, we were. Uh, pushing to boycott this game, not because we thought it would have, you know, it'd be nice if it had some sort of like measurable, some sort of like plummeting sales or no sales. Wouldn't that be wonderful? But the the most realistic goal that we were looking to get out of it was to, as a visible show of standing in solidarity with trans people, and also to get people um, discussing J.K. Rowling's like immense transphobia, um, because there are a lot of people out there strangely enough like sometimes i forget that i do like live a lot on the internet but like off the internet there are still people that are unaware that jk rowling is is like a huge transphobe and so sure the the game sold a lot but what ended up happening was the news had to like respond to all of this like 
all of these boycotts that were occurring, all of this uh, commentary that was happening around J.K. Rowling. And so now there's like tons of articles that are just published by like mainstream media um, for talking about J.K. Rowling's transphobia, or at least have, even if they're in def- quote unquote in defense of her, it's it's still it's still like, why does anyone need to defend her? What, what's going on with that? Um, so I, I see that as a huge win. Um, having that, having that coverage. Sure. It's not transphobia is not over. JK Rowling hasn't stopped being a huge transphobe, but I think of this as still a huge win in terms of visibility for trans people and for, um, trans rights and for, um, you know, just, just, like you said, sympathetic stories, like showing like humanity for, of people like, that are affected. To like breach the discourse, to like, you know, bring it to the table and be like, oh yeah, no, you know, like she is a transphobe and now it's, you know, like even, yeah, like, you know, a lot of the news stories I saw were like pretty sympathetic to her, I would say, or would just say like she has controversial views or whatever like that. But just hopefully that, you know, means people will be like, oh, controversial views, what's that? Or mm-hmm. even in the future, if, you know, if there's 10 more stories mm-hmm. about other things that mention the controversial views, mm-hmm. at that point, it's like, it's more than just like a con- controversial views, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. I think it's, it's important uh, to mention that like the funny thing that I kind of predicted about this has happened and that is that two weeks later there's no one else talking about this nobody's talking about this anymore it's like all over like you know people kicked up such a fuss for like a solid week and then the news cycle regenerated to be clear when you say people kicked up a fuss you mean uh transphobes right uh yeah 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 yeah, for sure like this is because the thing it was like that, it was like common could be interpreted uh, one of two ways um, yes i'm sure everybody listening uh knows me dj mule vocal <laughs> transphobe i definitely definitely you know disagree with what I trans people say on the internet. All right. All and right. anyway anyway so yeah no uh, uh but it is it's is just extremely funny and i think it's great i think that that is a, a good thing for sure um and yeah so in terms of you know what what sort of needs to be done in order to like 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 uh tim said breach the discourse right actually like get through this and and make solid changes um you know i imagine um you know sort of like seeing the the uh you know brian ajai um murder was was probably something that 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 did a unfortunately you know trans people shouldn't have to suffer before people recognize their rights and the hate that's going on you know every single day towards them but i imagine this is something that like you know has 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 i guess like the good law project has, has maybe seen um i don't know if you've ever if if anyone's come to you and said things like oh have you thought about doing something about Brianna jai and, and an inquest about something like that that's just something that just came to my head then as as we were talking about the hogwarts legacy stuff so i don't know if you if there's anything like that you've seen i think so i can speak to this from like something i used to do which is i um before i joined good law project i used to do work on public attitudes and i did do work on um people's attitudes towards like trans rights and like also um the census just came out and actually what what we are actually finding not that you know it from reading the media in this country but what we're you actually do see is a more 
people's attitudes towards trans people are liberalizing people are because people are starting to see more trans people in their own lives you know more people are coming out as trans there's more people in the public eye who are trans so people are starting to become familiar with transgender people and therefore are starting to become more sympathetic with them and people people don't understand words that we might use on this podcast like they don't understand words like cisgender for example most people don't really know what that means but when you talk about trans people and trans lives in terms of like live and let live you know let people just be happy and get on with their lives and let's just accept people for who they are and let's respect each other for who we are you know you'll find that most people do get on board with that and they do agree with it um so actually what we're seeing in the public is um sort of people's opinions of transgender people are improving um and also that this is really important i think that the most negative people towards trans people and trans rights are actually men um so this idea that it's sort of women versus trans people is just not is not real you know that's something that's invented by a small very dedicated group of bigots to provide progressive cover for what is a reactionary movement you know and i think what we're seeing now is not a deterioration in sort of uh the way that trans people are seen by other people by cisgender people it's actually a reactionary backlash to the fact that this group of people are now becoming visible and are sort of creating a, like a main a, like a place for themselves in mainstream culture that are starting to be sort of more visible in families in workplaces and actually like whenever there's you know that progress is made there is always a reactionary backlash to it and i'm not going i'm not trying to belittle that because a lot of people are hurt in those in the, in those periods like look at look at gay rights in the 80s what happened there you know millions of people had their lives destroyed through that so it's not that's not a small thing but i think that is what we're seeing now and and to me what's happened is there's been a kind of genie let out of the bottle really so you know when i when i was doing stuff on the bell versus tavi case i spoke to loads of trans young people and they all said the same thing i felt a bit different i kind of had this funny instinct that there was something different going on and then i saw a youtuber who was trans and i realized that's me that's what's been going on with me so i i just think it'll just keep happening it'll keep gathering gather gathering momentum and i think we will and especially because it's so generational the divide is so generational i do think that we will look back at what's happening at the moment we'll look back at people like jk rowling saying what she does and we'll think jesus what was wrong with us then you know i i have no doubt that that's where we'll end but like where we where we are at the moment you know it it obviously doesn't make it any easier for the people who are enduring what what they have to do at the moment and it doesn't make it any less serious but i think it is really important to say clearly that actually most people do agree with the people on this podcast like most people do believe in just respecting other people living as they want to and you know i think being clear that people like jk rowling and the, and the bigotry that she sort of espouses that is an exception and it is an ex- it is a viewpoint that i do think will be defeated mhm yeah it's 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 really interesting it's like my 
I spoke about this last week with Katie Montgomery. Um, Katie Montgomery's great, and and she was talking about how the the media attacks on trans people have a target audience, and and you know, there it's very sort of like you know, hit or miss if they actually quote unquote recruit anyone to transphobic ideas, um, and maybe they will have this sort of like paper thin idea in their head that like oh we need to protect women's spaces for some reason i don't really quite understand um why but you know this is this and 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 i mentioned that this is like a journey that my mum's gone on right like my mum is unfortunately a conservative supporter she's voted for the tories she voted for brexit um but in in sort of going through the journey with her and you know her and my stepdad confronting me when they realized i was bisexual because obviously i'm quote unquote one of them one of those queers uh saying like what do you think about these trans women infiltrating uh prisons and this that and the other and it's like you know i'm sat there and i'm trying to explain to him and stuff like and then like three years down the line i've got a transgender girlfriend and my mum literally said to me i do not see her as anything other than a woman like she is a woman to me like i i would never see her as anything other than that and it's like yeah like you know i think when people see this discourse it doesn't matter how reactionary they are sometimes you know it's like they they if they meet a real trans person they'll be like yeah this person's not really a threat to to, to women's spaces do you know what i mean this is just a person trying to live their lives mm-hmm. kind of thing um, yeah. So yeah, you know, absolutely. And again, this isn't to sort of invalidate the experiences of trans people out there. I know there are trans people in the in the Twitch chat right now saying that, like, you know, this this I, I'm not as confident. And of course, like, you know, that's completely true. And you know, your experience is your experience. You know, we're just the uh, you know a bunch of cis people here, just sort of you know. Well, I, I'm I'm speaking. I don't want to speak for sort of everybody here, but like, you know, just uh, talking about this stuff. But yeah, I think I think it is a really good observation to make. And again, really important to talk about how the majority of transphobes are men like it it is just cis men cis het men you know and unfortunately cis het men know that if they were the vocal sort of you know uh heads of of this hate movement that people would see it for what it is pretty quickly like for example um matt walsh is pretty much like i don't know one of the main sort of guys like cis het men who's like this is horrible blah, blah, blah. but this is a guy who feels comfortable enough to say that he's a fascist like he's not afraid to say that because he lives in the united states he says you know, he's a crypto fascist right he like literally says that he says he's a theocratic christo christo fascist yeah christo fascist he's not called? afraid yeah he's not afraid to say this and it's just like well, you know, that, 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 that is just sort of like why he's empowered to do that. But I think if, if a, a British guy, you know, a British cishet man sort of just like stood up and started being like the vocal head of like, you know, anti-trans stuff, like why we like, to- even Tommy Robinson. Like fucking like, Glenna. Yeah, you know, like Glenna, like this is the thing, this is why Glenna is so vilified by literally everyone. Like he's even been kicked out of like turf spaces and gender critical spaces because they're just like- his fucking own marriage. Oh. I know, I know. Oh, do you know what? I actually watched a really, th- sorry, this is just a sidetrack, but I actually watched a really good film last night called The- unbearable weight of massive talent it's like a nicholas cage film and glinna's ex-wife is is in that film and it's about like how nicholas cage divorced 
um, you know, this woman because he was being too self-centered and everything. And I just kept thinking, like, this is a perfect casting. She knows exactly how to deal with this. She's had to, <laughs> she's had to walk away from Glitter. You know what I mean? Like, so, yeah, sorry. She improved all her lines. Yeah, yeah she, she didn't even she didn't even get script. She was just like, yeah, here you go. But don't um, you find it crazy? Like, I was, like, me, my dad's Irish, O'Hagan, you know. Yeah. yeah. And, um... And we used to gather around every Christmas as a family. I mean, we didn't have like great Christmases because my mum was a nurse, so she would be working a lot during Christmas. But we'd always make time to watch the Father Ted Christmas special. Yes. And when I joined Twitter, I remember making a joke and Graham Linehan laughing at my joke. And I remember putting on Facebook, oh, my God, the writer from Father Ted thinks I'm funny. Right. And like now... I mean, it's just unbelievable. I just can't. It's 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 so extremely upsetting, and I and I fully fully get this. I think this is like a British thing. I don't know if Tim or Kira or anyone outside of the UK is going to understand this, uh, or Ireland. Like you know, like uh, Father Ted is like a really fucking funny show, and in fact, like not that hateful. There's kind of like a funny episode about feminism where it's like. You know, but then again, it is more sort of talking about how the the priests have this like backwards idea about women rather than the feminists are too loud and annoying and they shouldn't be listened to kind of thing. So it is. Like, but also, so... it doesn't that doesn't mark it out in the nineties, right? Like if you exactly. watch Friends or Sex in the City now, mm-hmm. you're like, oh god, that was supposed mm-hmm. to be liberal. But like, mm-hmm. so it, so it's not even that markedly different for the, for the rest of like comedy at that era. Yeah, yeah, it's just so bizarre. It's like this guy kind of seemed like he had like a few progressive values and then, oh, he's just the worst. He's just the saddest, wettest boy in existence. Like he just is such a sack of shit. Um, so yeah, just, yeah, I feel you on that, Ellie. Like I fully feel you on that. We used to literally watch, um, you know, Father Ted every, almost every fucking week, me and my, me and my dad. Um, so yeah, really, really, really. There's annoying. like similar things down here where there's, there's a couple of them like, oh, um, you know, like news presenters and breakfast TV hosts that have just gone totally off the down the brain worms kind of rabbit yeah. hole or whatever like that. And it's wild thinking like, I used to see this person on TV every morning for like, you know, like a decade or more. And now they're just like, you know, like sitting on their couch, live streaming to Facebook with like unbrushed hair, just screaming about <laughs> you know trans people or whatever like that. And it's like, what the fuck happened yeah. to your brain? Like, what, when did when did it all go wrong? You know, like, yeah, yeah it's, I have it's an wild IT how I, T-shirt and I don't wear oh, wow, it anymore yeah. at all. Oh, I'm like, sure. I'm not do that. Yeah, it was, like, my favorite but, show. But some of them, I'm, I am like, sure, sure, of course you did. Like Jillian uh, mm-hmm. McKee. Oh like, yeah. She's like a transphobe and an anti-vaxxer now. And I'm like, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, she, was, she was all about that, like, fat phobia, diet stuff, um, like looking at people's poo and being like, you're eating so much bad stuff. You've got to eat less stuff and, and, and what have you. And it's like, oh, God, yeah, she's just got really bad opinions about everything. Like, I don't even know if she's like a real doctor or something. Like, I think someone called into question her, like, doctorate or something i might be wrong about that but yeah Gillian mckeith is uh yeah not a vibe not a vibe whatsoever <laughs> i wonder if there's have you got any any other more sort of like points that you wanted to talk about about strategic litigation more generally and how that interacts with the fight for trans liberation one thing we haven't talked about 
very much and there's probably not that much that we can say because we're still waiting for a judgment on it, it is you probably know that we've we funded um the challenge to the charity commission for giving charity status to the lgb alliance yes uh, which is a very different kind of case um and an interesting one to think about when you're thinking about strategic litigation in general and it's it's not really a material gain and there's also an element of governance in it from a good law project perspective about what the charity commission is up to and whether or not they're giving charity status to what we say is a, is a hate group um but yeah so that that's an example of a case where the other side really wanted to bring the fight into the courtroom and we were very keen to keep the fight out of the courtroom and you know to keep that as a very technical discussion but they took the fight onto Twitter. Um, yeah, <laughs> I saw a bit really, of that, yeah. really went, went in um, in a way that has caused a lot of damage um, to a lot of people and, you know, judgment pending. So, yeah, and this we'll is see, another thing. But it, that's, that was part of the reflection there, I think. And, and this is another thing as well in, in this specifically is that, like, I know with legal cases that what, can be said on social media can actually sometimes affect a ruling right for example if things are literally spoken about on social media in terms of um you know actual evidence that pertains to what a, a claimant might you know bring to the to the table in court if, if if people actually talk about that and tweet about that that can really jeopardize a case so is that the kind of thing that you were seeing or was it just more sort of broadly trying to convince people who were involved to just like you know quit and not do it and like you know harassment and stuff like that no i mean i can say this because the transcripts have been published but yeah. every oh actually not for all of it but anyway it was an open court but every day in court for that case um, the other side mentioned something that had been said on Twitter and the judges were really, really keen to, they, they shut that down pretty fast. They were like, stop bringing us this nonsense. Whatever you're saying on Twitter is completely irrelevant to us. We're listening to the legal submissions in front of us. Um, but it was really clear that people who were supporting the LGB Alliance in that case wanted the kind of online debate to enter into the proceedings and in terms of what happened in the room the, the the judges were pretty good at trying to keep a check on that but it was an open court and an open gallery so the room was full and you can imagine the kind of murmurings and mutterings that flooded oh, to yeah. various points <laughs> yeah jk yeah, rowling yeah. also did a twitter thread about the court transcripts afterwards as well Oh, did she really? I actually didn't know that 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 she did that, and I imagine she was trying to claim that it was like, you know, uh, farce. Like, you know, this is this is just another attack on women's rights and all this kind of stuff. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like it, it is it is kind of interesting how, given a lot of these like you know opportunities, like what you're saying about you know people bringing in Twitter threads and stuff like that. That um to the average person, the a lot of the turf stuff just comes out as really like you know quite unhinged, right? Like um we had it down here where one of um there's a really well known um transphobe down uh, in New Zealand who has a gigantic internet following, but it's almost exclusively people in the UK, you know, and uh she actually had been working she became like it was like the press um 
it was like the press officer for our for the head of our largest opposition party and so her kind of you know her thing was i'm going to get in there and i'm going to make you know like i'm going to make women's rights or whatever a mainstream you know thing like she's going to bring transphobia into the mainstream there's a lot of like leaked messages where she talks about that where she's like okay cool this is going to be we're going to have the next you know like the prime minister of new zealand talking about this kind of stuff and she got in um you know like started and all of a sudden judith collins started saying all these you know things bringing up all these issues about women's rights and sex-based rights and things like that and just completely tanked the brand and just you know like it, all the all the normies kind of you know like when uh confronted with a lot of these arguments just kind of went like so what you know like like what is this like why should we you know like what are you talking about why do why should we care about that shit or whatever and so like the stuff that flies on twitter absolutely just does not fly outside of these spaces and um he yeah, actually you know tanked the brand so badly that um that yeah like the um so the politician judith collins ended up being replaced by the party and um and this woman i'm not going to name her or whatever but her and um her associates that had kind of wormed up their way or whatever when uh when the office was you know when judith collins lost the office they all lost their jobs you know <laughs> like basically just all gone completely just because they were too brainwormed to function within um i guess like the the realm of normal politics so i think that's kind of like quite heartening you know when it's like you see all this like super online stuff and you think like, oh man, this person's got like thousands and thousands of followers and stuff. And it's like, you get to the real world and you're just like, yeah, no, it's just Twitter brainworms. Yeah. It's just, they're all, they're all just fucking... Facebook comments and mom's net and all that shit. And they're all, like... they're all sock accounts as well. Do you know what I mean? And what you have to remember <laughs> yeah, yeah. is that like the, the sort of reactionary, um, not just sock accounts, but like the, the reactionary right on yeah. any kind of social media is always going to be concentrated you know, to every single person who who has an ounce of their beliefs, right? Do you know what I mean? They're just going to yeah. follow anyone as soon as they say a dog whistle. It's like, yeah, based. Do you know? Well, yeah, you, we saw them all. You know, like flock to support Matt Walsh, and then yeah. he immediately turned around and was like, "Yeah, no. oh, I hate <laughs> women. Actually, they should yeah, yeah, be slaves, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 yeah." yeah. But yeah. I mean, it's like obviously, you know, like people are still can do tremendous amount of amounts of harm in online spaces and everything like that. But I just think it's kind of like, um, yeah, it's um, it's always great to see when someone you know like has something like take very seriously because they've been obsessing over it on twitter for how no however knows long whatever, i think just, um, yeah just be told like no this is you are you're being ridiculous you know i think that that's really uh poignant him for a couple of reasons and also correct me if i'm wrong here but this is something that we saw in the states right like in the in the midterms like a lot of republicans were running on the anti-trans stuff and it just didn't really work out for a lot of them like you know there was like a lot of places where they were like you know keeping trans people out of women's spaces is our number one priority but and, and a lot of them failed obviously this does not translate to um you know protecting trans people because we're still seeing anti-trans legislation being pushed through in these kinds of states but like you know this is this is a policy that that people are just simply not fucking interested in like mm -hmm. they, they don't fucking care mm-hmm yeah so yeah, i think I that's I, yeah okay yeah cool i just wanted to make sure that, that yeah that i think it's like it's yeah. um for most people that aren't like 
hyper engaged with the discourse it's like it's a fringe issue because i mean it is it's an issue that affects a very small population you know and it's like because of that it should be a no-brainer that it's like yeah it's a small percentage of population and we should do as much as we can to you know support and protect them or whatever but um yeah i think a lot of the uh a lot of the brainworms types have um turned it into a hinge for society's success or failure or whatever but um but yeah no i think it's um yeah yeah hopefully Just- hopefully it's people um start to see them more for you know people like jk rowling and glenna for what they are is just just yeah deranged ideologues maybe i don't know yeah i agree i i wonder just on the note of anti-trans legislation in the in the states if good law projects have sort of seen what's going on over there and and uh you know have any thoughts on that so we're not as far as i know maybe ellie knows better than me directly involved in anything that's going on in the states we're very much a uk based organization but we obviously try and keep abreast of what's going on and we actually organized or co-organized a big symposium um in september of last year which brought together loads like tens maybe even a hundred of uh activists and lawyers and that included quite a lot of um us activists as well and yeah it was really instructive to think actually about the differences between what's going on there i think part of the part of it is the sort of like federal organization like the way that the legal system and politics interact is quite different obviously but also understanding and here please correct me um if i'm wrong but from what i understand the the sort of flavor of transphobia in the us is quite different in the um the sort of there's more solidarity in the kind of lgbtq plus arena against the more evangelical right crackdown on trans rights whereas this very particular turfy pseudo-feminist using the name lesbian (laughs) in that way um, is quite a British phenomenon Mm -hmm. and the, the conversations that I had with US activists at the time were were about a kind of fear of feedback and obviously like the links in the far with the far right in the US is now spreading more in the UK scene and sort of like fears around cross-pollination between these two different sort of philosophies of transphobia but for now at least the LGBTQ plus solidarity is more intact mm. um, and I think that that also impacts legal strategy um like the the kind of crackdowns on trans healthcare and specifically trans especially trans healthcare for young people in the US requires quite a different legal strategy to what's going on in the UK and in Europe more widely mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. because you, it's harder to blame a sort of fanatic evangelical right here because it's all couched in these reasonable concern arguments um and sort of couched in the language of this pseudo-feminism as well. It's almost like it's a, a baseless hatred that doesn't have any roots in reality. Right. A bit yeah. like that, yeah. <laughs> um, I, but I guess I something that links them is the moral panic over children's welfare, right? And that is just like such a yeah, that's such a jewel of a of a yeah. It's always think of the children and then there's yeah. actual pedophiles literally 
sexualizing and otherwise children and and that same crowd adores those people so i think it's like it's so well how many of like you know there'll be like it seems like almost every other week there's like some famous turf getting busted for being like you know like a sexual predator themselves or whatever you know like it's 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 fucking wild well there was the there was the the woman in in uh scotland during the gra reform who like you know it wasn't really her vagina that she got out but you know it was a fake one and i don't know man like there were kids in that room and shit and it's like you you wouldn't you wouldn't even fucking see a a trans person come close to anything like that do you know what i mean like this is just it's so absolutely fucked that you know this is what she chose to do (laughs) when her side was like it really wasn't it wasn't a very adult human female that's the thing they're always like oh a, a woman wouldn't do this thing that a trans person has done or whatever like that it's just like but it'll be something super i don't know super ridiculous and then they're out <laughs> here like flashing people you know like committing sex crimes themselves and it's like what right is right going right. on in your brain yeah um, and this this is another thing that is like so very you know, obvious when it comes to these turf arguments, these gender critical arguments, like you know, when they talk about feminism and it's like, that, you know, they didn't say a word about Roe versus Wade. And there's like another thing that happened in the news really recently. I think this week that is associated with ab- abortion in the mm. States. And, and this is something that's just not, you know, they don't fucking, they just don't talk about this shit because it's so... Yeah. Yeah. It's so absurd. It's such a, a, a sort of like upper class, you know, uh, 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 cis, het, white version of, of feminism that it, it's just so far removed from, from anything meaningful. Um, yeah, I think like the, and there's like the common thread between the abortion stuff and the trans stuff of like bodily autonomy, right? And it's right. kind of like if, yeah, like, you know, like it's it's hard to see them making the arguments in favor of reproductive rights mm-hmm. that don't also um, kind of like, I guess, um, you know, like uh, can- cancel out their views on, you know, like trans healthcare and shit like that. So a lot of them, it's just like, they won't engage whatsoever with that. So. Well, the Kira, the Kira Bell case actually did have implications for abortion rights in this country because it was based on this idea of Gillick competence. Right. Gillick competence says that um, 16-year-olds can consent to their own medical treatment if they're sort of deemed to be co- competent, intelligent enough, reasonable enough to know what's going on. And the result of the Kira Bell case undermined this idea of Gillick competence. And that means any treatment then for people who are under 16, um, including abortion, um, was then sort of, you know, put at risk. And it's important to note that one of Keir, people on, who was involved in Kira Bell's legal um, case was this guy called Paul Conrath, who is a solicitor um and a member of the sort of evangelical christian right um in the us and there have been strategy documents about how like written by those people about how um like trans rights are a good trojan horse to undermine wider lgbt rights and then also undermine women's rights so it's you know it's not it's not even theoretical it's like this is actually part of the plan yeah, yeah. they've stated it right they've stated what their their goals are 
yeah yeah and then you get like yeah it's i mean that's like the thing with like the matt walsh thing you know getting close to the for a minute and they're all just like useful idiots for um you know for like their wider agenda it's like i mean they have their own like terrible agenda but it's like this much and then you know there's like these other people that have this like bigger picture and they're just you know using them but um yeah yeah fuck them <laughs> you know there's so many there's so many sort of awesome things that good law projects are doing just in general um and you know obviously the trans rights fight is the main thing that we've been discussing here on the show but like you guys do so much awesome stuff as well right like um in terms of sort of looking at and these things are tangentially related to trans rights as well right for example um the companies at, at tufton street kind of thing because that is actually related to uh lgb alliance like lgb alliances w- 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 was based at tufton street apparently I, I i might have got that wrong i don't know malcolm clark um posted a photo of him at 55 tufton street proudly stating he's been at the offices today um earlier this week um, right yeah i think so he we... thought he was trolling us but <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's just absolutely fucking wild um yeah and it's like and and like 55 tufton street is like this huge sort of like office building or like a just like a posh office building it's so it's somewhere that like um uh not just good law projects are sort of interested in but also uh just stop oil i believe absolutely blasted the place with orange paint when they were doing the orange paint thing uh in london and um it's because there are a lot of businesses there that have you know, their fingers in a lot of horrific, nasty shit, Uh, not just transphobia and and evangelical ties to the evangelical right in America, but also, uh, you know, in actually destroying the fucking planet that we live on. So uh, yeah, that's a that's a really interesting thing that I've been following from Good Law Project. um, Personally, Um, but I get Oh, I had a really good question just then and it's completely left my head. And it was about the Tufton Street thing it was oh yeah so in terms of like actually like putting the pieces together about the evangelical far right because we've we've spoken about that just briefly there um about the the effect that that has on transphobia in in america right um but also it, it it's been noticed right that this has been exported to the uk right this is literally like like you were mentioning this paul what's his name schrofer guy i don't even know the guy's name conrath conrath that's it um paul conrath guy and he is from america and and he's like involved in in trying to sort of dismantle uh well well prevent trans rights from taking any foothold in the uk right um and so i wanted to ask you about that just sort of like the final question i guess from us the hosts unless my my co-hosts have any other questions as well um like how obvious is the link to evangelical groups in the u.s in terms of like the hate that comes from turf groups in in the uk if that's something that you know about anyway um i think i think there has been some funding given um from what i understand from these and i also i also think i also am aware that there's there was an internal division in the sort of 
gender critical movement so i'm going to give its polite title um between between those who felt that the far right could be legitimate players in the movement um as long as they agreed with the sort of tran their transphobic principles um and with those who um who felt that like allying with the far right was beyond the pale so i and i think you know, recently we saw in, in this weekend, I, don't, I can't, you might have even mentioned it on this podcast, we saw in Honor Oak, we saw there was drag queen story time. Yeah. And that was like, that was picketed by the far right. And in fact, one person was seen doing a Nazi salute. Um, the good news is that it was counter protested by like more than 10 times the amount of people from the far right that showed up, which is great. Um, but I think that that, I think that, there is certainly like at least an overlapping of ideology, clearly, otherwise that the far right wouldn't sort of seamlessly be able to adopt kind of the concerns of the gender critical movement so easily. Um, and there is, you know, to some extent, there is like an overlap in terms of the same people being involved. So like I'm I'm not really I have to admit I'm actually not that online so like I, I'm not based. like to based. <laughs> so I don't even know what that means um <laughs> <laughs> extremely based <laughs> Stay away. it means good it means this is a good thing you should continue okay. to do it yeah yes very based um <laughs> I love how you just <laughs> very based <laughs> um and yeah, but I think there's this person called maybe I'm gonna get okay I might be wrong about this so please don't sue me if I'm wrong but the Posey Parker, I think, was a sort of person that they that there was this huge argument about because that person is a member of the far right. And then yeah. so I think, you know, there is there is at least an overlap of ideology, but I think we can say that there is an overlap of actual people. And you know, and what you were saying earlier about brainworms, I think um the the best way that I could describe what's happened is um it's a conspiracy theory and people have become radicalized into it. You know, there's like what what this movement actually believes at its core is just not simply not true there's no evidence for it i mean god you'd think that there'd be more transgender people in public life if there was such a thing as an ultra successful transgender lobby yeah you know so it's just clearly yeah. not true and it just feels to me like it's a conspiracy theory that people have become radicalized into that is reactionary in nature and that has meant that people are now no longer to sort of they're no longer able to apply like consistency or rationality to anything that relates to it because that's not how being radicalized into a conspiracy theory works i think you're spot on yeah i think you're absolutely right and i think it is good to talk about it in in the realm of conspiracy theories because it does overlap so much with things like anti-semitism um you know fear of migrants uh you know uh, fear of black people you know just straight up racism it's just yeah you know very 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 obvious um and i think it's really good that you who are so offline um so based so offline can see that um because it's it's glaringly obvious to most people who sort of you know spend a i guess a, 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 a embarrassing amount of time online such as myself um but yeah so i think yeah really really good uh, answers so far and, and insights from you thanks both of you for uh, uh coming on and talking to us but uh, let's let's i think maybe we should we're getting like a couple more questions come through so i don't know if we should start questions we should start the questions yeah yeah okay 
Let's do it. We rushed chat with the questions, clearly. We didn't yeah. give them enough time. They're, no. they're, they're still submitting them. <laughs> so we like, to, I, we like to we like to bully our, our community here in case I, you know what I will um, ask the first question. The first question is in reference to the appointments for trans healthcare. Um, the discussion that we had like right at the start when, when you first came on. Uh, Mel's Ghost asks, uh, what is the official excuse for these waiting times? I mean, it's obvious it's transphobic discrimination is the reason, but what do the officials say is the reason? Yeah, good question. Um... So yes, and also very well caveated. We know what the real reason is, um, but what the NHS, what NHS England said in their defence is, I mean, yeah, again, I did, I did sort of allude to this earlier. They basically have just said that they're doing what they can, and they really focus on a lack of professionals who are trained who can give the medical care required, um, which is strange when we know how many private practitioners there are um, providing these uh, this care for lots and lots of money um, and also we know how limited in number the services are and we know all the bureaucratic issues at the services and we also know a lot about clinical gatekeeping and the general um how best to tactically describe it um the way in which uh transness is diagnosed and care is meted out by professionals right so we know all of that but they're they're so this is me speaking so i didn't do the disclaimer that i wanted to do at the beginning so i'm doing it on every answer so this is me speaking not good law project speaking but um <laughs> <laughs> um we we know that they're so fixed in their understanding about how this care has to be provided that they they provide as their excuse and defense reasons that the way in which they think about it cannot be rolled out more than it already is and that they're doing everything they can to roll it out as fast as they can into as many people as they can whereas most people who know anything about it from a different perspective know that actually there are loads of things they could be doing that require them to change the way that they think about the structures of how this care is provided and the way in which the NHS provides it through the different trusts and through primary care and that kind of thing that would mean that those defences fell down um, but yeah they've been very explicit that it's not funding it's all about um, person power and but yeah that's it that's that's all they've said over and over. And then because they've now made these changes, they've also, there's the cash review coming through. So, you know, they they have now made this, announced this change, this closure of the good service, and they say they're going to make all these changes. They also say they're going to bring out more pilots like the sexual health. There's, I think there's three pilots currently ongoing. Of, um, and they say they're going to do more of that. But yeah, that's that's it. You can actually, you can read all of their witness statements on our website. So you can see exactly what they've said in their own words, ah. um, go to the case page and you can see um, the defense witness. I think we've got the defense witness statements up there as well. Pretty sure. Um, and if not, there. they'll be summarized in our submissions. So sometimes we publish only our side of the submissions and sometimes we publish also the other sides. Um, but if so, if you can't find the, the other sides, so the NHS England's witness statements, then you'll see what we've said in response to them. 
in a skeleton argument. Um, and as the appeal goes on, we'll be bringing more of that through as well. So, and, and yeah, and read our blogs that also summarizes. Actually, also, there's really good, there's a really good um, counter to that, sorry, on the, we've got um, a really, some of our witness statements are up there. Uh, Dr. Michael Toes has written a brilliant witness statement that we submitted as part of our submissions that is the kind of medical counter or the kind of the counter in that frame. It counters all of their arguments and it's really worth a read. And it's a really useful resource actually for sharing with people who have these kind of reasonable concern arguments around healthcare provision. And it, it's, it's just fabulous and it's got all the stats. Um, so yeah, it's a really useful resource. Brilliant. I think that's a great answer. Thank you very much. Um, Tim, do you want to read the next one? Frongi Chair, I've got a question. Does the GLP have plans to get involved with the Scottish GRA reform and Westminster blocking it? I don't know is the answer to that. Um, if you look at our executive director, Joe Morm, if you look at his Twitter, he actually did write a really extensive response to that and he was in a lot of like even in like the international press I think he did he's in the Washington Post I think and and in um like commenting on it um but I we are opening an office in Scotland um but we have not yet recruited um the staff but um we're sort of in the process of doing that now but I don't I think basically what's happening is we will um decide what legal work we're going to do once those people are in place so at the moment i don't know is the answer to that so once the scottish office opens up you'll be kind of figuring out what's possible then i guess right well um uh what's the next one kira do you want to this is from this dungeon sub boss um what do you do when the law explicitly says your basic health care is illegal yeah, I mean, it's a good question. That's the, I mean, that's the, I guess that's what I was sort of trying to indicate by saying, even if we won this, win this case, which I hope that we will, and even if it did have a magic switch, there's still some aspects of the healthcare that would then be provided um, that isn't enough. Um, and I guess we all know what people do now in terms of a practical answer to the question. Like there are lots of options for how people access healthcare themselves. Um, it tends to be for money and it tends not to be regulated so well. Um, I mean, I don't know if you're actually asking for practical tips. Gender kit oh, is a great yeah. website. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Point you towards like good resources, but you probably have them yourself. But like, um, yeah, I mean, in some senses, it's a rhetorical question, isn't it? This is this is the situation we're in, and it's 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 shit. <laughs> oh, sorry. I was going to say we have actually done um, some reporting um, streams before on the phenomenon phenomenon of DIY HRT um, kind of uh, practices. What um, people do in various parts of the world, where they have uh, their healthcare is inaccessible to them, and the ways that they get around that. Um, you know, as a stream, we can't recommend you do anything in particular. And I'm sure the Good Law Project can't encourage you to do that either. But um, if you look into that stream, you maybe uh, you might find it interesting how different people in different parts of the world have uh, 
have managed to provide for themselves where the system was lacking. Yeah, um, check out our stream with Athena. I think it. I think her name was Athena, wasn't it? Yeah. Next one, we've got one here from uh, Agent Hedge Piggle saying, when we have a law system that is so immovable and failing so many people, the work you're doing is a part of the hard work that is needed to make change. My question is whether you think the system can be corrected to something that works for us all. How do you think good law should work or look? That is a massive question. <laughs> Huge, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel I'm, How will I'm, you structure society? Go. <laughs> I'll, I'll, do, I'll, do, um, I'll do our boss a solid and say Joe actually does have a book that sort of talks about this coming out in April. Um, there, hopefully he'll be happy that I've, I've uh, plugged it. Um, cool. How does it, well, I suppose, I suppose that's like a, a question that depends on who you are and what you believe in. Right. I mean, someone like Keir Starmer would say you have strong institutions and you reform them to, to, you know, make sure that people are treated equally, you know, but then you might have uh, someone else like, you know, uh, Trotsky would have said, will you overthrow the state and you rebuild sort of uh, like from the ground up based on what the working class needs. So the answer to that is kind of. State like, of perpetual revolution, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, well, the, the answer to that is like really who, who you like based on who you are. How, how do we how do we make the law equal? Well, the law is the kind of skeleton of society. So it's made by us and it reflects it's supposed to reflect our values and it, you know, it's supposed to reflect, it's supposed to uphold society as we want it. So to change the entire law in order to to make it more equal I think would involve changing the entire of society and the question of how you do that is really up for grabs and it, and it sort of varies from person to person depending on your beliefs sorry that's like a not a very probably not a very helpful answer because uh, uh, I, it's mean, quite I think vague. it's pretty good like I think I think what you've summed up is that the law like it's not just that we can change a couple laws or whatever it's tied into it literally you know it is like the law dictates the way society is structured and back and forth you know either way like um so we can't yeah you know it's like it's a much bigger problem than just like a law here or there or whatever it's it's a societal thing it's how everything is structured which i think is um yeah it, it speaks to like regardless of what your you know ideology is if you you know, I think you're a democratic socialist, a communist, an anarchist or anything like that. I think um, that that answer is pretty, pretty in line with, um, you know, like what I think a lot of people would think, you know. I'm really impressed because I did a whole critical legal theory masters and like <laughs> two of you have just summed the whole thing up so much better than what I was about to try and like dredge my way through. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, I dropped thing. out at 15. <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> well, all the better for it, evidently. Yeah. But um, I guess the one thing I wanted to add to it, it's not so much the what we're aiming for question, and it maybe reflects some of what we've already talked about, about different tactics to get there. But there's a really nice Murray Matsuda quote about how sometimes you have to be in the courtroom um, proclaiming loudly from behind the stands to the judge and sometimes you have to be outside the courtroom banging your fists on the door um and it's about you know the legal system as it is is clearly not working for most of us and it is very normative and very prescriptive and works with a lot of binaries and it it um yeah 
but it also can be used as a tool for uh, transformative change. And it really depends whose hands it's in. And sometimes you're going to have to be inside and sometimes you're going to be half outside saying the whole thing needs to be torn down. And I think, I mean, there's one interpretation of that quote that really leads you towards reformism, but there's also, I think it's in, it's intended as quite a radical position um, that, that can like allow us to still act, but also have a vision for a very, very different world that we're working Ooh, toward. Right. Interesting. Oh, yeah. Well, um, what's the next one we got there, Mule? This is from Unwanted Orchid. Um, question, is GLP aware that GICs aren't providing orchiectomy to patients, even though they're supposed to? I was told that they don't have anyone to provide the surgery in the whole country. I'm sorry, I need someone to tell me what orchiectomy is. It's when you get rid of the balls, the testicles. Oh. Right, yes, okay, yeah. I, I thought so. I just needed yeah. to double check before I launched in. Um, no it's still on pause, um, I believe. From what I understand, it was being provided and then they, they stopped it and a lot of people's surgery was stopped halfway through. Um, I don't know if that's... I don't know. I think actually I'm just going to stop trying to answer this question. I don't know the answer. Fair enough. Uh, and I think that's pretty, um, yeah, I think that's the right thing to do. If you don't know the answer to a question, don't answer it. Uh, <laughs> so we'll we'll move on to uh, the next one. Uh, Kira, do you want to read this? Yes. Uh, yeah. So from Fan Dangly, um, is there a resource to help see which businesses slash organizations should be avoided uh, due to being problematic or run by nasties. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Like a like a BDA, BDS, but for turfs. Maybe? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I suppose. Yeah. Is there any indication what what kind of organizations, like support organizations or like political organizations? Or... I think they're talking about like anyone who you know where they have people in the higher echelons of of the framework of the organization or the business that have gender critical views or transphobic views i imagine that that's what um they're referring to i don't know yeah well, you see uh, like some of these you get like some companies or like even smaller businesses that um you know like donate a lot of money to you know various political causes and stuff um yeah i don't know i i can't think of any organization like that down here that kind of keeps track of everything but is there anything in the uk that does anything like that not that i know of no oh. sorry we had uh katie montgomery on last week who mm. we were trying to sort of start doing this <laughs> oh. um we we kind of we, were sort of like batting around you know what do we do for trans liberation like you know what what activism can we do and uh one of the things that katie brought up was um about sleeping giants in the us and also stop funding hate in the uk these are two organizations that basically look at advertisers and um, that advertise on hateful um you know, pieces of media. Like, for example, the Times runs transphobic pieces, the Times runs anti-migrant pieces. And so it would make sense to, like, support, stop funding hate and, and maybe, re you know, reach out to them or potentially do your own version of stop funding hate where you, where you say, like, oh, this particular um, 
organization you know is transphobic it's 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 fundamentally systemically transphobic uh institutionally and uh you know we can't fund it and we need to be aware of it kind of thing so that is something that we actually discussed on red planet yeah yeah, last like week, something, so, yeah. yeah that you could do like that well that we could do or that anyone could do is kind of like a very i guess like a low stakes kind of actor activism that is very accessible to a lot of people you know extremely like, accessible um you know just yeah just hounding advertisers and um seems simple but um yeah it's there's a lot of people that have had a lot of success with that so um yeah it's definitely something we're we're considering for uh you know in the future but, yeah. um yeah so what uh, uh we got another one here from um R. Masiri asking um yeah how did how did you get involved in the good law project i actually um got involved because of the trans work I mean, I do, I obviously like, there's a lot of work that we do that I'm really excited about. Like we're, uh, one thing that we're doing at the moment that I'm really excited about is we're using like a really old piece of common law to take the government to court over the fact that water companies keep dumping shit in our rivers, basically. And I'm like, really excited about that. I love all of our procurement cases that like, it's really exciting whenever new one of those drops and um we get to expose like the one that we did that story a couple of weeks ago about greg hans and his involvement he just after he became the chairman of the tory party and his involvement with that company called lux lifestyle um that was quite dodgy you know so actually being able to sort of expose wrongdoings of senior members of government is also really cool but because of the sort of the way things are politically at the moment i feel like You've really got to be, there's only three areas I think like that I'm interested in working is one in working, one is climate for obvious reasons. Um, and we are doing, uh, you know, a lot of climate cases, well, a lot of climate work we have done and we will continue to do that. Um, one is uh, refugee rights and migrant rights because of the rise of the far right that we're seeing at the moment. Um, and then the other is LGBT rights, because it like I think that I've never seen such a reactionary backlash to LGBT rights in my like, well, not in my lifetime, because I was born under Thatcher. But like, you know, in my since I can remember as a so, someone who was politically interested. So when the opportunities came, uh, came up to work for Good Law Project, um, I took it because, you know, it's like it's it's a brave decision it shouldn't be it shouldn't be a brave decision to like stand up for trans rights as an organization as a political organization but it seems to be um in this country and I felt like I want a piece of that and the other thing that made me think I want to work for Good Law Project is when um Joe our boss took on um uh, criticizing Nick Cohen the journalist for like sexually harassing colleagues and um and I guess I just thought that's the kind of organization that I want to work for an organization that isn't afraid to do things that might make it unpopular but because they're the right things to do um so that's how I ended up working there and obviously we have sometimes you know disagreements internally like the aforementioned disagreement over you know i'm sure that if becca or i were running good law project it would have a position on sex work um but at the same time you know i am glad to be working somewhere where i can say that publicly and feel that that will be 
acceptable for me to say it within the organization. Awesome. And what about you, Becca? Yeah, I mean, all that, I guess. It was the trans rights stuff that was um, that was my main draw. I've been, I, I did, I've done quite a lot of activism over the last 10 years and um, was very committed to working as a carpenter and doing activism on the side um, and not making my living out of the politics I was involved in, but that all fell down for various reasons. And um, yeah, Good Law Project Stance on Trans Rights was a real, real draw for me. And, you know, they're continuing to pull through with that. So that's that's good. And yeah, solidarity with sex workers everywhere and always. Hell yeah, we love to hear it. Nell on Starfire says, um, do the other parts of the NHS in brackets, the NHS in Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland have the same failings uh, at delivering trans healthcare. Yes, is the short answer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think waiting times in Northern Ireland are particularly horrific. Um, the Scottish system is slightly different. Um, but I think there are still significant failings. But the reason that NHS England is the only defendant in the case is because they are just run separately um, and you need quite specific, um, you need specific claimants um, with a specific defendant in order to bring the case. But in healthcare just is devolved. Um, but obviously because of the campaign element and wing of taking the case as good law project, we hope that any implications will also ricochet sort of through the devolved nations. But yeah, unfortunately, it is only NHS England that we're that we're taking to court. But yeah, it's everywhere. It's it's institutional. I think uh, the important thing for for our audience to understand about like the other parts of the United Kingdom is that it's the only sort of remnant of Britain's colonial. Uh, past <laughs> that still exists like you know northern ireland scotland wales they're all basically places that were colonized by england do you know what i mean it's 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 you know they're, they're not gonna if if it's bad in fucking england it's gonna be worse in these places right that's I, i'm welsh so you're really like. speaking my language right now yeah. i'm really enjoying this yeah, it's I've david's got... day on wednesday as well so this could not be better timing Hell yeah. You know, look, you know, I've, I'm, I'm basically English, but, you know, I've got Irish heritage and I just think it's really important to remember that this is like something that people really overlook, right? Um, so yeah, yeah, enough solidarity uh, with uh, our colonized siblings in and around the UK. Um, but yeah, so um, absolutely fantastic questions uh chat and i think that someone else in the chat blumhouse has just uh, uh talk or talk to us about the orchidectomy or orchidectomy thing so i'll read this just in case anyone's interested uh she says the orchidectomy thing all gender affirming surgeons are capable it's possible to take the case to your local ccg but you need examples of previous patients who've received the surgery as a precedence preferably in your area i was the first patient in the uk who got the orchidectomy there was one previous she had testicular cancer um it took me three solid years of battling to access the procedure so there you go there's someone who's been on the uh front lines of it when it was actually do you know what i mean sort of 
in progress kind of thing. Can I ask if you have half a minute, whoever wrote that, could you send it to legal at goodlawproject.org just so we can have that information? And because we get so many emails and we don't give advice by email, we're not a legal organization, we can't give individual legal, legal advice, but it's just really good for us to know as absolutely most as we can about everything that we're working on. There you go. And thanks for sharing that as well. Really helpful. Yeah, appreciate that. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so yeah, th thank you so much for answering the questions and thank you so much for, for, for being our guest. Now, our chatters, I don't know how familiar you are with Red Planet, but our chatters are little nerds, dorks, bods, swats. You know, they love homework. They love it when we give them homework and things to do. Um, you know, they absolutely, you know, they, they really do kick up a fuss if we don't give them anything <laughs> to do. So I wonder if there's anything that you two would... Um, like to suggest to the chat that they could do for homework this week that is um, either around the Good Law Project or trans liberation in general? I've got an answer, which is because I've just forgotten one of the points that I meant to say, but I think I can work out a way to twist it into a piece of homework. <laughs> Let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> which is that one of the cases that we never managed to get off the ground at GLP was one that would challenge local ICBs who were not giving, who had discriminatory uh, policies for funding for fertility preservation. Um, and the reason that we didn't get the case off the ground is because every every ICB, BCTGs, has a different policy and it has to be very, very fact, fact specific in order to make a legal challenge. And we were really struggling to find claimant. Um, it, so, I think the homework I'm giving is loads of people who we spoke to didn't even know that this was an issue and didn't know that they might be eligible for fertility preservation funding. Doesn't mean that all trans people are eligible because it does depend on the specific policy. And if they have a legal non-discriminatory policy, then it may be that you're still not eligible. However, let people who might want funding for fertility preservation on the NHS know that they can ask for the policy of their local CCG or ICB look at it, if they think it's a really bad one, they can send it away. I'm not promising we can take a case, we probably can't, but it would be useful to have a record of that. And um, it's worth challenging them if you think it is. And if your doctor isn't referring you for it, then you can push them on that as well. Um, so that's the homework is to just spread the word. Because I think it's one particular aspect of trans healthcare that actually a lot of people don't seem to know might be a possibility. Um, and the other homework is please share our fundraiser for the appeal. It's really important that we can take it um, onto the next stage. And I know that there's a lot of fundraisers out there at the moment, but um, yeah, this one would be, it would be, we really need to get to 50K and it, yeah, you can't donate yourself, then please just spread the word. Cool. I think that's absolutely awesome. Ellie might have more, I don't know. Or is that putting you on the spot? No, I actually kind of did have one, which is uh, just uh, today I watched this amazing documentary called Open Door Colon Transsex Liberation Group. And it is a doc documentary that was made in 1973 by trans women. And it's basically a discussion between four trans women about their lives. So it's a documentary about be being a trans woman in Britain in the 70s wow. made by trans women. It was made and it was broadcast on the BBC um i would i don't know whether this is like a, a con i guess a content warning would be that um because it was made in the 70s the understanding of like the way that tr being transgender was spoken about would now seem very dated 
it's often related to your sort of surgical transition. That's how they kind of they they tend to talk about it. But it's nevertheless like really amazing and a really unique piece of television. And it's uploaded onto the BBC archive to see four trans women in the 70s in their own words, it like making the show that they wanted to make, talking about their lives. It's an incredible watch. I really recommend it. But also please donate to our crowdfunder. <laughs> <laughs> awesome cool that's um that's awesome yeah i'm sure a lot of people in the chat will um love to check that out oh yeah blumhouse saying that uh they love that doc cool so um yeah thanks so much for coming down thanks for um yeah thanks for talking to us and thanks for educating us on what you are who you are and what you do and stuff um i thank you yeah. for doing what you're doing yeah yeah, yeah. Thank, thank you, you so much work. yeah Awesome. Right back at um, all of you, and thanks for having us. Like, yeah, it's always such an so honor. I'm a really big fan as well, you know, so it's always a real honor awesome. to come on this show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> ever since go. I watched Sophie eat those bugs on the crowdfunder, I've been like on the yeah on the funding <laughs> yeah, weekend. I've been, I've been hooked. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, it's really, it's really, really nice. Uh, um, so, thanks a lot for having us. Well, yeah, we'll pass on the um pass on the message to Sophie. <laughs> I'm sure we Cool. All right. Thanks for uh, having both of you. And uh, yeah. yeah, we'll see you again sometime in the future, I hope. Take care. Thank you so much. Sure. Thank Bye. you. Bye. And we right. are now three of us again mm. so that is the end of the show thank you so much everyone for coming it's been really really good kira where are we finding you you could find me on my link tree it has all my sites everything is kira chats on twitter on on um youtube on which i don't really upload that much to youtube but i, I need to get back on it uh but twitter twitch and my wink socials wink wink you can find it in my link tree it's uh someone post my link yeah so yeah it's in the chat a uh, link ee because they will put the dot in a weird place slash kira chats um and also my discord discord.gg slash kira chats we hang out there a lot I hang out there too much honestly <laughs> it's not it's like because i took twitter off my phone now i'm like i put all of that obsessive like very online energy onto my discord uh, I think that's so good. Go I think that's there. better than Twitter, you know? It is better. It is better, but <laughs> it's way better. But uh, yeah, I'm always there. So discord.gg slash chats. All this stuff is in my link tree. But uh, Tim, let's say I'm a, a huge forehead because I am. Uh, I'm, I'm a major Tim head. Where can I find you? Um, you can find me on, so on Twitch or YouTube. I'm under Conquest of Dread. Um, I do have to, I'm going to do a gaming stream sometime probably in the next couple of nights because um, some awesome company just sent me a review code for their brand new game that they want me to play and check out and um, give them some feedback on called cop killer 22 XX. So um, yeah. Wow. You're going to play that in criticism, right? Yes. Well, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to play this game. It's like an old, like kind of arcade pixel kind of side scrolling thing um and it um it has a little interesting little write-up about it um sitting like a future where it's like corporations kind of control everything which is like you know like i mean that's like the current day but whatever, you mm -hmm. know so um it's something about like busting people out of jail and killing cops so i'm like hell yeah i love to do that in video games 
And you um, know, if you wanted to hear about Tim doing that um, earlier, you could have found that out in the Discord because he posted that yesterday. Yeah, I do. We do have a, um, a, a channel in our Red Planet Discord where we talk about games and stuff. Um, it's probably the channel that I'm the most active in. He is, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though I haven't really been playing too much games or streaming lately being a bit too busy with the whole like you know like climate catastrophe thing but um but yeah i'll um i'll be streaming that sometime in the next couple days i think so if you want to find out when i'm going to do that uh follow me over on twitter at dread conquest and that's where i post about you know just shit posting and stuff about streaming and stuff um yeah but mule where can i find mule well, you can find me at linktr.ee, D-J-M-U-E-L. That's how you spell my name. Um, it is, I've got some really, really cool patron posts to do. I just kind of finished filming for my next video. So be on the lookout for that. It's going to be coming in possibly like a week or two. Very, very excited to show everybody it. I think people are going to enjoy it. Um, but if you want some really, really awesome behind the scenes content, then, you know, become a patron because it, it like, I, I'm not even bigging myself up here. I didn't expect him to be this good, but my good friend, uh, uh, uh Dan, he is basically like a really good videographer. He's been, uh, coming with me. I paid him to like film the whole thing. Um, and he also like, as he's filming does behind the scenes content as well. So he's done a lot of pictures. He's done a lot of videos. Um, for example, there's a video of me flying a drone. Uh, which is pretty funny. Um, I don't really know what I'm doing. I've never done it before. And you can check that out on my Patreon. Uh, but in the meantime, you can find me playing games on twitch.tv forward slash DJ Mule. And also, huge shout out to our wonderful sister, uh, Sophie from Mars. She's not here today, uh, but you can check her out at patreon.com forward slash Sophie from Mars, twitch.tv forward slash Sophie. Um, underscore frm underscore mars and youtube sophie from mars the the most important one is the patreon please go and support our sophie on patreon and we'll see you next week thank you so much for hanging out solidarity love goodbye see you all later bye my sweets bye Bye, audience Thank you for listening to this episode of Red Planet. If you enjoyed the show, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell all your comrades about it. Find more on the show, including where to watch live at redplanetshow.com. Follow us on Twitter and TikTok at red underscore planet underscore TV. And there's even more at our Patreon. Patreon.com slash red underscore planet. Our music is by Jasper Byrne. Red Planet is produced by Conrad Zimmerman in association with Mercenary Creative. See you next week.